Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Good Wednesday morning. We are closing out this week, the month of March, and I'm really looking forward to today's show from a guest standpoint. Uh, the local flavor coming up Saturday night in the Final Four. Uh, certainly Florida Atlantic has some of that. Uh, but what Nigel Pack has done with Miami uh, has been really impressive. And of course, Nigel Pack, one of the you know big storylines of the offseason and leaving Kansas State and almost going to Purdue and the NIL aspect. Uh, he's going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock. And we are, and I think for the most part... It's going to be decent weather in the Midwest tomorrow. Uh, it's opening day for Major League Baseball coming up tomorrow. And so Tucker Barnhart, fresh back from Arizona for his first spring training as a Chicago Cub, he's going to join us at 9.30. By the way, <clears throat> excuse me, it, March it, it comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. Isn't that right? Isn't that the saying? Sounds right. Is it going out like a lamb? I, I mean, it's a little chilly, right? It's not like super windy. Yeah, I feel like temperature-wise hasn't been too bad. I know Friday, some rain in the forecast, so keep an eye on that if you have plans to go to the Indians game for their opening night. Um, again, from a Major League Baseball standpoint, Thursday is the big day. They kind of dial it back from a schedule. Um, I think it's only five games, I want to say, on Friday, whereas everybody plays tomorrow. But Do you think yeah. Major League players like totally are like, yes, let's go. Or do you think deep down they're like, is it like the first day of school again? I, I would think they are ready to play real baseball. I would think as great as the weather grind, in Florida right? and Arizona is, I mean, you sign up for this and you know how many grapefruit split squad games can you play? I mean, you've been, I mean, Tucker Barnhart's been in Arizona for what, a month and a half? Yeah. Um, I think from a competitor standpoint, you, you have that. And I'm curious, and we'll ask Tucker, this is certainly coming up. Uh, and by the way, good Wednesday morning again. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, and Mark Dykton with you. Appreciate you guys tuning in. You know, these rule changes, Jake. I mean, if you look at it, the numbers indicate that the spring training games have been, I think they were shorter by like 20, 25 minutes. Um, if you look at some of the changes, you know, from a shifting standpoint, from a pitch clock standpoint, I think I saw runs are up. Stolen bases are up. Strikeout rates a little bit down. So, I mean, if you were to kind of gauge, all right, what changes do we need for Major League Baseball? I'm not acting like it's all of a sudden going to make for they're stealing the NFL's TV ratings, but it seems like they're achieving a lot of what they wanted to. You know, I'll be curious to ask Tucker Barnhart with the pitch count, because, I mean, we've already seen in spring training several play like pitchers getting you know is it like a balk or ejected or whatever for multiple like not not getting the pitch in on time this sounds like a dumb question but is is understanding the pitch clock the primary obviously the pitcher's primary responsibility but how much that falls on the catcher i think it's big yeah and i would guess wouldn't you think more wear and tear on catchers yeah you aren't resting as much in between pitches good good point um i would think that it's kind of sums up where you're at with major league baseball right now when 
I see a lot of the chatter about opening day, people betting over-unders on how many violations will happen tomorrow from a pitching standpoint and people breaking the clock rules or a batting standpoint and right. breaking like I mean that's where you're at well, right now. The batting standpoint, can you imagine Nomar Garcia Parra today? Oh man. I mean I mean I've yeah. seen yeah, you know, the be, bat uh, flips also. I mean they're they're cracking down on I It's funny to me Kevin because it seems that there are a lot of people that are you know I see a lot of people that are like they're taking the fun out of the game yada yada yada. But Five years ago, what what were people saying? I just don't like all the showboating and the you know what I mean. It takes too long between pitches. The game's too slow, so it's kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't to an extent. Speaking of rule changes, uh, the number zero will now be allowed to be worn in an NFL game. You have a favorite zero from a jersey number standpoint. You know what? Well, are we counting double zero? Sure. Are you going Bob Parrish? Robert Parrish would be up there. Was it Montrose double zero? I believe so. Would you wear zero if you were if you were an athlete, Kevin? What number would you go with? Yeah, I think zero would have a pretty strong brand, right? I think you would get like a lot of people that would buy your jersey just because you're zero, or at least you would get people in the stands being like, "Oh yeah, that's that number zero. Where do people really say that if you're like twenty five? What was Romeo Langford? Zero sounds right for him. No, was he? I'm trying to think though. Was he in Indiana? Was he like 20 or was he zero? Mark, <laughs> we're gonna wake no, up. I, Mark no, I have there. no idea. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I, 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 don't I know. think it was zero. I mean, obviously from a basketball standpoint, Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, well, wasn't Jason Tatum, I mean, Gilbert Arenas, some, wasn't he agent zero? Wasn't that his yeah. name? I mean, you have some great players in the NBA right now that currently wear zero. Tyrese Halliburton, Jason Tatum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Benedict Matherin, double zero. So, uh, much more prominent on an NBA standpoint. Jim Otto, by the way, in the NFL was number zero. I would assume for the Colts. Well, you know, when I think of zero, you know, part of me thinks kind of a quick guy, maybe Isaiah McKenzie. But if I'm not mistaken, I think Jelani Woods wore zero at Virginia. So, you can in college? I believe so. So, he would be one that. Obviously has some history. May I it. ask a dumb question? What necessitated need, needing to bring zero back? Yeah, I think you saw a couple years ago that receivers were allowed to wear single digits. You know, Paris Campbell went from, what, 15 to 1, I think it was. So I think it's more of the players just saying, hey, why is this a rule in the first place? You know, in the NBA... Don't you get in some technicalities of like signaling to the scores table the person of who got called for that foul? Right. You know, I think that's part of it. In the NFL, you don't really have that. You know, you you just throw the flag and you and you announce it. Like I don't think there's necessarily some huge ordeal with that. I know at times you have players that have to you know identify as eligible from an offensive line, defensive line standpoint, and those are the only position groups, Jake, that that can't wear zero. O-line and D-line, but uh, rule changes yesterday at the NFL owners' meetings, nothing too pressing. Um, I feel like the one that everybody wanted didn't get approved. Was that the roughing the passer? Yeah. So, not allowed to review that, correct? Nope. Do you can wear zero, that? though. You can do, wear zero. Do people want that? Do people want more review? I think when it's as costly of a penalty... And ticky tack of some of the roughing the passer penalties have been, 
Absolutely. That could change the game easily. You know, I, I probably side with you, Mark, but I also feel like the crowd of saying there's too many reviews is pretty vocal and, and pretty loud. Um, again, I'm probably falling a little bit more in the just get it right. I, I don't care if the game takes an extra two and a half minutes. If you get it right, I, you know, that's all that matters to me. My thought is you have two challenges for a coach. If the coach wants to challenge whatever he wants with those two challenges, by all means, go ahead. They don't have to reverse anything, but you can at least challenge and say, hey, can you give it give this another look, please? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so not a lot, really, out of the rule changes. Uh, there will be one big roster cut uh, late August from 90 to 53 in years past. They've had multiple cuts throughout the month of August after different preseason games. So um, I think that's a fine rule change. You'll allow a 90-man roster to kind of stay intact throughout the preseason, and then you'll just do one giant cut down from 90 to 53, uh, August 29th. You know, will be that day. Two things here. First off, Blue, the mascot, is double zero. Does he have to? Do they have to get him a new number? Well, maybe uh, someone will have to pay Blue for that. That's a good point. Secondly, to me, zero and double zero are the same thing, right? I'll tell that to Tyree Taliburn and Benedict Matherin. One and eleven, but but I, here's what I don't understand: they are numerically the same thing. You're if you're zero, you're double zero. If you're one and eleven, there's a difference. Two and twenty-two, there's a difference, right? Zero and double zero equate to the same thing, same number. Someone's seen his math tutor. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, well, you got to be consistent here, right? It's I, the same thing. You're just you're just doubling up the same quantity. Like like, what are we doing? Something I do. Why not with, triple zero? <laughs> something that well, that's a lot of uh, material on the back of the jersey to fit all that in. Uh, something I do want to get to a little bit later. You know, again, exiting these owners' meetings out in Arizona. I do think Jim Irsay is singing a different tune about Chris Ballard. It's nothing drastic, but it's a different tune. And it, I think it's an understandable tune, but we'll touch on that a little bit later today. Shout out to Zach Eady. He is the National uh, Coaches Association Player of the Year. I don't think we're surprised by that. Um, obviously, the ending of now the season. Now, that's an actual fact about him and not just repeating something from a parody account, right? Yeah, this okay. is uh, sent out from the NABC. Uh, 22.3 points per game for Zach Eady, 12.9 rebounds for him. Yeah, I think a couple of things that stand out about Eady th- th- this past season, Jake. First off, it's not like his conference numbers dipped at all. I mean, he was still great in the Big Ten. You know, he did not inflate these stats against cupcakes in the offseason or uh, in the in the non-conference I also am just so impressed by his foul shooting. You know, for a big guy to be north of 70%, his stamina throughout a game, the fact that he didn't get into a lot of foul trouble. This one is just wild to me. Zach Eady finished the year with eight games of at least 30 and 10. No player has done that in major college basketball in 20 years. I mean, virtually. You know, it's really fascinating, Kevin, because over the course of the season, Zach Eady was totally unstoppable, right? I mean, you watch him and you're like, it just, it was amazing what he was able to do. Then you watch the tournament and you see how guard oriented and guard dominated the dominant teams are. And you think to yourself, that was great that he was dominant. And yet, 
even in the college at the college game at the NBA level, you know that's going to be the challenge. Is just how the game has gone away from from utilizing that kind of dominance. I know that sounds weird, and you think about it, and you're like, he had an unbelievably dominant year, and yet it still feels like it's light years from. That sounds like I'm taking it away from him. Do you get what I'm saying? Like you just you watch the tournament, and you're like. He was so good, but at the same time, no one else, no other team is like really. UConn maybe utilizes a big, but outside of that, it just feels like a system that is dangerous because no one else is running it. Yeah, UConn has a great big guy. They do. Um, I would argue Miami has an all-conference big, but they just surround him with guards and wings that can do a lot of things, score at you know, different levels, and I would say that is the difference. I know you're not going down this path, Jake, but I do hear this chatter oftentimes about the tournament. The tournament obviously means a ton, but that to me should not all of a sudden ignore or discredit the type of team success you can have in other parts of the season. Like, should Purdue have not celebrated what they did in Portland early in the year? One of the finest three-game stretches that program has had in in years. Um, Should Indiana not celebrate sweeping their rival because they lost by 16 in the second round of the tournament? Like, celebrate that. Purdue should celebrate winning winning the Big Ten. I, I understand the tournament means more, but that doesn't mean that November through February should just be ignored. I, and, and you know what? Yeah, I agree with you for sure. Like, I mean, hand up here, Jake, because obviously, from a college football standpoint, the team that I cheer for um, gets run off the field when they get into the big moments of the college football playoff, as does pretty much every team, not named Alabama or uh, Ohio State or whoever. But, like, should Notre Dame fans not have celebrated a win over Clemson? No. You know, like... I think, though, that, Kevin, part of what that celebration is... I I don't disagree with the spirit of what you're saying. But part of that celebration, when Purdue wins three huge games in November, or wins the Big Ten by multiple games, or when Indiana sweeps Purdue, part of that celebration is anticipatory of what that means for what they're going to be able to do in March. Sure, sure. So then all of a sudden it becomes this letdown of like, oh my gosh. Now, in time, you'll be able to look back very fondly on it. But in the moment, it becomes about trying to get a national title. Uh, IU fans rejoicing Tamar Bates into the transfer portal? I saw that. You know... Sorry if that's too harsh. No, I I think it's fair. I, I went back and looked at his timeline yesterday. And my timeline, for those that don't, or not on Twitter, I looked at his Twitter timeline. And, you know, he, he did some NIL things with, actually, Jordan Geronimo. He and Geronimo appeared at a place in Bloomington, a business, like, hey, come out and see us. We'll be signing autographs, that kind of thing. He he is a father. He looks like a – in that regard, I mean, there's a lot about him to like. I don't know, so I don't want to say this as fact. I'm just going to tell you what – internally I've heard is that not a bad guy but didn't necessarily completely gel with his teammates let's say that so I don't know that there's any like and I mean from a playing standpoint Kevin he just was I mean what was he 0 for 13 in the tournament yeah 0 for 13 in the two games isn't that gonna be kind of hard to gel with the teammates as a father as a in a sophomore year of college right that's fair you know yeah you know, we're going to get to this fall, Jake, and we're going to look at Indiana's roster. And 
you're going to look back on like who played in the game against Miami. Will it just be Malik Renew and Trey Galloway? Entirely possible. Let's let's look at that box score here. I guess maybe did Caleb Banks get a couple minutes in that game? Like you know, they're going to fall in line with. Unlike this past year, where they returned so much, they're going to fall in line as one of the teams that returns very little from a minutes played, from a point production standpoint. Obviously, if Xavier Johnson gets the medical waiver, you know that would kind of fall into the category of somewhat of a returner. Okay, look at the, here are the players that played in that game: Trace Jackson Davis, gone, right? Miller Cop, gone. Race Thompson, gone. Jalen Hood Shafino, gone. Banks did get on the floor. You're right. He got three minutes. So is it just Galloway and Renew? And, and I guess Banks? Galloway played 35 minutes, Renew played 10, and Banks played three. So you have 48 total minutes returning. Tamar Bates in Indiana's tournament loss. 20 minutes played, 0 of 7 from the floor, 0 of 4 from three-point range, four rebounds, one assist, one steal, and a turnover. Yeah, he just took another 18-foot jumper. <laughs> Another one. Mm-hmm. Nope. Shockingly, that did not go in. Yeah, I. Again, certainly not the career that anyone expected. He was, I think, close to a five star, if not a five star recruit out of IMG Academy. Um, and if you look at the portal, Indiana's been extremely active, rumored with names, visiting people, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you need a starting guard, you need a new guard off the bench, you need a shooter to replace Cop, you need another big man. Jake, we're going to look at this roster in the fall and be like, this is one of the most changed rosters. Yeah, they'll need name tags, of right? Anybody, yeah. anybody yeah. in college basketball, certainly major college basketball. I mean, that's the. I don't know, Kevin, that this will be forever. Like the water is eventually going to find its level. We talked about this yesterday. The COVID year and the you know the extra year of eligibility. Eventually, that some of that stuff you would think is going to kind of calm itself. But with NIL money, I'm telling you, I, I here's what I would do. I'm the first to admit, if I was a five star recruit, you know, I I sign with. State you, and I get my 150k or whatever it is, 300. Who knows? However much. You're a good player. Sell, sell my jerseys. Well, <laughs> it's nothing new there, right? Sell my jerseys. You know, whatever. And then eventually, like anything else, only so there's only so many people that are going to come out to you know crosstown barbershop to meet you and get a picture and pay five bucks or whatever. So after the year's up, I look at it. And I'm like, wait a minute. All of a sudden now, Tech U wants me to come there, and they're going to give me a hundred grand. Okay, I, I I I got everything I could out of my first year at State U from the NIL standpoint. I'm going to Tech U now. Yeah, I'd like to see the one time transfer put in place. Totally. Now, Jake, I can already hear Jay Billis yelling at me and saying, "Well, what happens if a coach leaves at two schools that you attend?" Also fair. So I I'll be interested to see how that. I mean, Kevin, look at me. Plays uh, out. As a normal college student that didn't play athletics, by the time I was in my true academic sophomore year, I'd, I'd attended three universities. Yeah, I had a roommate junior year, senior year at, at IU that had already, that was his third school. Yeah, and nobody like... Sure, well... 
Well, my maturity. This was guy's name was Chris Hotwagner shooting shots at the hyper from the volleyball line. I don't think too many people were worried about him <laughs> and his status there. What, what other schools did did he uh, attend? Began at Dayton, and then he went to Party School USA. Let me guess, Party School USA. I feel like they're voted very high in those rankings each year. Is it a state university? Uh, yes. It is, is it out of state? It is. Is it a warm weather climate? It is. Florida State. Arizona State. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I think I could certainly find my way into some fun, potentially trouble, in uh, Tempe. Uh, tonight, Pacers Whoa! and Bucks. <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton has already been ruled out. I think the uh, description on Monday night was like ankle management. Again, Jake, the Pacers are peeking around the corner and saying, here ankle. you go, white flag. Ankle here management. Here you go. Um Big Toe Boo Boo. Is that going to be one of the lists? Pacers fans that moan about load management for other players around the league. Is this a little pot kettle black with how the Pacers are handling things late in the year? Hey. And again, I have no issue with it. Let me make that very clear. But Well, yeah, you've hit your 30 win total. You could care less. Hey, lose, lose, lose. Bucks here tonight. Giannis going to play? Giannis is, they're not, they're not. It's probable, I saw. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Chris Middleton questionable. Now, Middleton's been banged up, but. Um, it is a very quiet admittance from the Pacers. Now, you know my buddy Mike Byron. Is he on the bingo card? Oh, he's got four <laughs> He's right next to the free space. Are you kidding me? Byron just sent me a text. He, he's Apparently, he's shuttling his daughters around this morning, and, and they're clamoring for a radio shout-out. Now, does, does, if I do that, does that mean that I am facilitating for him to be a parent that is spoiling his children, if we no. say hi to Ashley and Whitney? Uh, at this hour of the morning, uh, anything goes. You, you, you're just trying to survive. So, yes, shout-out as you will. Ashley and Whitney Byron. That's that's the shout-out to them. Good morning, Ashley, Whitney. Good morning, Mike. Always good to... <laughs> Hear from you indirectly. I never know when he's in town. I'm just glad he's in town and not gallivanting the world. Yeah, you, uh, I mean, I'm thinking about Maddie right now. Max, I think he slept for maybe 47 minutes last night. You know, so I told. Survive in advance. I told Mark this, Kevin. I do not by any stretch of the imagination, and I don't want people to think that I am. In no way, shape, or form am I equating this to being a legitimate parent. I'm not. I, I totally, totally, totally understand and respect well, I don't understand because I've never been a parent, but I respect the challenges I'm sure you guys go through nightly to get a full night's sleep. But last night with uh, Boo, the the adopted cat, yeah, uh, last night was the first night that Boo fig- finally came into like my actual bedroom, and I'm like, okay, I mean, you can get on the bed if you want, and it, all was good, it was perfect, and then about one thirty in the morning, I got the headbutt. Mm, boy, <laughs> not a lot of respect on where the line was drawn in, in that bed. I'm like, boo, man, we got to go to sleep. Let's, let's go, like, just curl up right here. We're, we're good. Are we going to get a change of the Twitter profile to maybe, like, Boo's father in in the info? Maybe the no. LinkedIn? I know you're big yeah. on LinkedIn. Cat dad. Cat dad? <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not going to mm-hmm. like, be that guy that's like, here's another great photo of me and the cat. So how do you go about that? Do you just shut the door? Nah, he stayed in there. Look, do you think this will be something that maybe over time Boo learns the territory once I, the sun goes down? Yeah, I would. Well, he's definitely nocturnal, so I mean, we have that in common, which is the dangerous mix here. But I mean, look, I, it's hard to do anything because I'm like, a week ago, this poor guy was sleeping in a crate, right? So you know, and I don't know his his previous owner who passed. That was the other thing is. I, I I couldn't help but think to myself, well, they told me that his owner had passed away. 
Like, is Boo the one that found him? Is he doing? Is he? I told you he's doing a wellness check on you. Hey, buddy, you all right over here? Should, should we be laughing about that? I, I, it's not funny. I realize I don't know who the person is. I just know, but he he did check on me several times over the course of the night to make sure I was awake. Uh, I've got an early pop quiz question. All right. Okay. The all-time leader in San Diego State Aztecs assist history. Tony Gwynn. Tony What do Gwen I win? By 111 assists. That's amazing, by the way. Catnip, that's what you win. You think we'll ever get back to that point where like people are playing high-level multiple sports Boy. at the collegiate like does I mean, anyone usually I mean, have a guy that like walks on like right? Notre Dame. Remember the kid that was Mr. Football, Drake Bowen from Andrean. Yeah, he was an early enrollee at Notre Dame football, and he's currently on the baseball team. Now, again, baseball, it's a little bit different. Well, now, that's what's it, so it, funny. In, Kevin. in Gwynn's case, he can play. He obviously played every day, but, but you know, you know if you're a pitcher, you're not out there. One would assume that in college, Tony Gwynn probably was known as Tony Gwynn, the basketball player. And they're probably like, you know, he's actually pretty good at baseball, too. Right. Because who follow? I mean, maybe in San Diego, it's a little different than than most places. But you know what I mean? Like, it's not like people are like, this guy's an unbelievable. Now, do you know that Tony Gwynn, what's the, it, Tony Gwynn has some ridiculous number that's like, he could have struck out his last 1,149 consecutive at-bats and still finishes a 300 career hitter. Yeah. And again, I know that I've mentioned this a thousand times on this show, but I'll say it one more time. Tony Gwynn, who for the last part of his playing career for the Padres, lived in Fishers. Yeah, adopted Hoosier, right? Yeah, and I'm telling you, there is no, in my career, not that we get to know athletes, but being around them, interviewing them, whatever else, but Gwynn, just because he lived here, I did get to know a little bit. There is no more humble, kind-hearted, down to earth, totally unaware of his own greatness, athlete today, like there was Tony Gwynn. He was an absolute gem, absolute gem. He managed at San Diego State for a while, didn't he? He did. Yep, he went back. Grew up in San Diego. He grew up in L.A. I think suburban L.A. Played in San Diego State. Played for the Padres. So again, Saturday night, it's San Diego State and Florida Atlantic. That is, do you think they're just having the biggest party in the world of the Villages right now to celebrate Florida Atlantic in the Final Four? <laughs> My sister went to the Villages Woo! and was like, I'm moving. It's the greatest All right, thing ever. Yep. Grab your drink and the blue pills are in the back. We're going to the Final Four, folks. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Start hooting more than, you know, just the owl sound yeah, here. Okay. Key parties and college hoops. Nothing better. Nothing better. And, you know, 609 tip, perfect for them. You know, plenty of time to, to party <laughs> you after. The early bird, you get the early bird and watch some basketball. to save a couple bucks, I'll tell you that. Just perfect. Oh, Mr. Fancy. <laughs> and then UConn and Miami, of course, the nightcap, which I think a lot of eyes on that one. Nigel Pack, he'll be in that second game on Saturday night. He joins us at 9 o'clock, the LC product. Tucker Barnhart getting ready for opening day at 9.30. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton on what looks like a nice start here to this Wednesday in Indy. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. NBA action tonight. It is Giannis the Milwaukee Bucks back to take on the Indiana Pacers. We'll see how much, say, George Hill, Jordan Wara get fired up to play against their former team. Game tips at 7 o'clock. You can hear pregame coverage with 
Mark and Pat beginning at 6.30 on this radio station. That's one of many games in the NBA. Last night in the association, Washington over Boston. It was Atlanta, 120-118 over Cleveland. Toronto over the Heat. Memphis over Orlando. Charlotte, 137-134 over Oklahoma City in a game that was viewed by people in Charlotte and Oklahoma City only. And Golden State over the Pelicans, 120-109. to for tonight, no Halliburton. He's already been ruled out. Giannis is probable. Milwaukee's up two and a half on Boston. They play tomorrow against Boston. Um, but, you know, based off the injury report, um, it looks like Giannis will play 11 and a half point underdog, the Pacers, tonight. Uh, looking ahead to the final four this weekend, the women will get things started on Friday. That is in Dallas, Iowa, South Carolina. South Carolina, the overwhelming favorite, favored by 11 and a half in that one. LSU, Virginia Tech, kind of interesting. A one seed in Virginia Tech, a three seed in LSU. LSU favored in that matchup by a couple of points. And then the men's semifinals get underway on Saturday. That is from Houston. Again, San Diego State, a slight favorite over Florida Atlantic and UConn, five and a half over Miami. Jake, if I gave you UConn or I gave you the field, who are you taking in the men's? You know, because I'm currently taking statistical probability class, I would take the field, but I believe that UConn's going to win it, yeah. It's interesting. Um, It's kind of been a field tournament, right? You know, if I would have told you at the start of the tournament, here are the one seeds or the field, you probably would have taken the one seeds. Kevin, the, the one thing to me that I keep going back to, I, I, I think about, for example, Buddy Heald's Oklahoma group. Like, it does feel like there are, it, this doesn't, it's probably 50-50, but it does seem like there are times where when a team blisters its way through the first two rounds of the tournament, or t- first two weekends of the tournament, that then they get to the Final Four and all of a sudden, like, the layoff, the rust kind of settles in a little bit. I don't think that's going to happen with Connecticut, but it's not unprecedented if all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, like they were on fire and like what happened, you know? Um, it certainly seems like at the level they're playing, and I'm telling you, I, I will, I don't even know if you remember it, but I'll give you total credit because when we when the brackets came out and we were sitting there just going over them and Connecticut's name came up, you're like, man, those guys are like red hot. And lo and behold... Here they are. Yeah, unfortunately, the Arizona pick did not match that. Uh, Nigel Pack, by the way, going to join us at 9. At 9.30, it'll be Tucker Barnhart. He's going to get things underway tomorrow with the Cubs. That's a home series with the Brewers. A look at opening day here from a Midwest standpoint. The Reds will have their traditional home opener. Um, They take on the Pirates. The White Sox are in Houston, Detroit, it has got an away series with the Rays. The Guardians are out in Seattle. The Cardinals are home versus the Blue Jays. Mark, you going over under 77.5 for your Cubs. Oh, let's have some fun. Let's go over. And the Reds over under? Is it 20? A 21.5. Oh. <laughs> a 65.5. That's the third smallest in Major League Baseball. Over. For the Reds? Yep. You can get some value on the Reds to have the worst record in baseball. I'm just telling you. Athletics and Nationals, Where the other go? two teams that are less than the Reds. Again, the Indians here locally, they've got a series with the Storm Chasers, which fittingly enough looks like some rain in the forecast on Friday. Uh, that's a set. Is 7.05, I think, is the first yeah, pitch. Did you see right. more Hoffman play for them? 
135 Saturday and Sunday. It's a twister <laughs> to round out the. Who is your series. American League team? I mean, Mark, you're a you're a Cubs fan, right? Mm-hmm. There there has to be one team in the AL that you're like, you know, I've always kind of liked those guys. Always had a soft spot for the Blue Jays. Okay, that's fair. And, and then if you're gonna want to go way back, Griffey Mariners. I like the Blue Jays. I, I I'm not. I'm a Cubs fan. I don't hate the White Sox. I know that's like. A cardinal sin usually but my dad's a white Sox fan i have a lot of relatives and friends who are white Sox fans i don't hate them i just don't i don't root for them when they play the cubs you know, next always, thing you're gonna say is you're an iu fan and you like when purdue wins as well yeah go hoosiers go I, I loved the blue jays as a kid lloyd mosby jesse barfield tony fernandez that group all the way up into joe carter uh, but i've always kind of liked the athletics days uh, just because they're i don't know they i mean they get like six thousand people a night and a Six thousand—that'd be like an attendance record. What are you talking about? Yeah. That's bobblehead doll. Yeah, that was a playoff game back six years ago for the Athletics. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, we'll get back into some of the conversation regarding the NFL owners' meetings. Jim Mersey, I think, singing a bit of a different tune uh, in relation to Chris Ballard. What will that mean for the future at those spots? And a couple of Colt veterans that could have been on the move this offseason sounds like they will be back in the full. We'll talk about that coming up next here. Kevin Aquari. On a nice start to this Wednesday here in Indy. Don't look now, but here come the red legs. Mm-hmm. How does a pistol? It is a Wednesday, hump day, 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear in this program. It's Kevin and Query. Took uh, a consulting group like six weeks to come up with the name. Mark Dykton manning the controls for us on what looks to be, so far, a good start to the morning. A little bit chilly, but good morning to you, uh, Kevin not chilly out in Arizona. Looked like a fabulous night. Jim Irsay sent a tweet where he was uh, meeting with the local beat writers. I saw Zach Kiefer in the photo, Stephen Holder in the photo, I think a couple of Colts employees as well. Joel Erickson, who we'll have on tomorrow. Joel Erickson was in it. Um, but you had mentioned that you you felt like all of a sudden, like it's the same song, but not totally the same song, because it feels like maybe the tenor and a couple of the verses might be a little bit different for the Colts. Yeah, I would say two big Ursay takeaways for me. And again, glad you mentioned those names, because obviously, you know, those guys are out there and boots on the ground and able to get us this information. We'll chat more with Joel about it tomorrow. But I would say, and I kind of expected it, but to hear it from Ursay's mouth obviously is important. I would say he poured some water on the Lamar Jackson Colts potential chatter. And the second thing is he has gone from giving us the length size of the gold jacket for Chris Ballard to realizing that, all right, we need some expectations here. We need to adhere to a standard that has not been sniffed, frankly, through his first six seasons, particularly last year. Um, it just it wasn't the unequivocal backing of Ballard like he has usually had in prior off seasons. Um, he mentioned that Ballard is not on some quick hot seat, but then was quick to also throw in there the expectations are there. And you know, I think when you see that quote in print, Jake, I don't know if it stands out as much as it will for just the casual fan as it does for me. But again, I want to stress that that is a much different tune from what Ursay typically says about Ballard. Now, the question becomes, all right, he's signed through 2026. Right. What do or what does 2023 need to look like for him to continue to be on a path that Ursay feels like is the right one? And I don't know if tangibly we can point to a record, Jake, or something like that. 
but I thought Ursay said this on several occasions. You will know if it's going in the right direction. You will feel hope. You will sense that. There will be signs of it. And in a way, I think it's very similar to how the Pacers season has gone. This Pacers season to me, Jake, is about as close to a roaring success as they could have had from a enough wins in the short term to appease the fan base, young development, um, continuity building. You're going to get a lottery pick, hopefully in the top 10, top five. That is kind of what you need to see out of the Colts. I think for the Pacers, the other thing that comes into play is the fact, Kevin, that at different periods, each of their young players have had their game. Or, or a plural, or, you know? Yeah, or period, right? Like Nimhard had the Laker game and has been pretty consistent. You know, Matherin came out to that roaring start and obviously still is, is you know, he has a swagger about him. There have been moments where it was like Isaiah Jackson played great last night, made a great defensive play. You know, each of them. And so th- there's that standpoint from, from the Pacers. Now, for the Colts, I, I think the challenge for the Colts – Kevin is not to pit the Pacers versus Colts but to your point it's easier to provide that light from an NBA standpoint because there's fewer guys right I mean you only need one or two guys to turn things around the the challenge the Colts are going to have and I know that this is literally I mean this is such a dead horse that I'm beating that it's not even glue anymore now it's like the entire table that's been put together with it I the the AFC is just so loaded I, I, I don't know. Well, again, we're going to have to get away from probably wins and losses. We're, we're, yeah, we're probably going to have totally. to get away from that, which I know is easier said than done. Start showing a foundation, yeah. right? We're probably just going to have to not put as much into that basket as we're used to. I, I think the Certainly thing, in this market. Here is the thing to me that is the difference between the two. And it's so weird to say. And I, and I realize, I mean, listen, these two franchises in town – they play nice together in the sandbox, but when they go home after the end of the day at preschool, they do say to their mom, yeah, I, I, I think that one got a little too much attention today, right? That There is definitely a little bit of a rivalry between the Colts and the Pacers just in terms of the market attention span, right. if you will. Yeah, not a lot now, of weeping over Gamebridge Fieldhouse with the Colts season they just had. Correct. And, and probably vice versa sure. when the, you know, but... The difference between the two from the Colts' standpoint right now, and it ha- trust me, it hasn't always been this way, but what is their vision? With the Pacers, I think there's a pretty clear understanding from people what the vision is. What's the foundation? What's the, what is the core block? What is the vision of what the Colts are trying to do? I, I think Ursay told us this week. I, I, I really do. I mean, again, compared to Ballard, which Ballard is a – a politician in many of these settings. Um, he kept his cards close to the vest, whether asked about Lamar Jackson or asked about, you know, drafting a quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Ursay, he's like, we're looking for the future guy. We want the guy to be here for the next 10 years. When you have a rookie quarterback, you know, it gives you the opportunity to to build. I thought Ursay said it. I thought Ursay made it abundantly clear that enough of the retread, enough of the patchwork, we have got to find the young quarterback, we've got to take advantage of the rookie contract, and we've got to build with that QB. At this point, Jake, based off Jim Ursay's comments, and I felt this way entering the week, but again, Ursay's comments confirmed it, I would be extremely surprised if they pursued Lamar Jackson. 
Right. I- I- extremely. And I think this is something to worth pointing out about Lamar Jackson. Again, my reservations, his health, his playing style. I think we've seen some dip in his passing over the past few years, if you want to get a little bit into the details of it. But Jake, I think if you put your eggs in the Lamar Jackson basket, it's harder to pivot out of that and take another swing. If you miss with a high draft pick, and again, I know it's low-hanging fruit, and I apologize, Mark Dykton, but the Bears swung on Mitchell Trubisky, and they missed. Well, they stunk so bad, they were able to get to a spot in the draft, and I know Justin Fields fell, but they were able to take another swing just a couple years later. If Lamar Jackson has injury history, Jake, you give up your two first-round picks. So if you win four or five games... That doesn't matter of you drafting in the top five, top ten next year because Baltimore holds your pick. So I know you don't want to think plan B, plan C. You want to just get it right. But if you do get it wrong, I don't think you're going to be in this awful, dire situation cap-wise, draft pick-wise if you miss on Will Levis versus missing on Lamar Jackson. One thing I will always say in defense of Chris Ballard and the Colts is this. I think sometimes there are storylines or expectations or assumptions about the Colts that would probably get pretty tiresome if you are the Colts to address or hear because they come from everywhere but from the Colts. You correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, and and you would know better than I, but I don't recall the Colts ever at any point insinuating that Lamar Jackson was a place they were going to look. But everybody just assumed that that made sense, and the precedent was, well, you know, Matt Ryan fell into their lap. Carson Wentz kind of fell into their lap. Phillip Rivers fell into their lap. Well, here's another one that falls into their lap. So the precedent was there, but I don't know that the discussion was ever there, but everybody just assumed this was was a foregone conclusion. Ballard never poured water on it to the extent Ursay did. And again, I know their comments were just kind of, whatever, six, eight hours apart on Monday, but two different tones from the GM and the owner. Yes, to your point, you know, a lot of the national media, I think, checks kind of the, oh, the Colts make a lot of sense. If you look at Colts players on social media, they're constantly liking tweets about Lamar Jackson to the Colts. You know, so I think that kind of builds. As far as the key decision makers, again, Ballard, more of a politician point of view, he's a special talent. Of course we need to look into special talents. We'll see how it plays out. Ursay, not really down that path, which I think is interesting. You know, you would think if Ursay wants to provide, I don't know, some sort of, hey, we might make a splash, you know, as an owner and create interest for your franchise, you would maybe toe that line a little bit more. The other thing that I thought was interesting from earlier this week, Jake, you know this full well, national media, who would you say is the national media member that has the strongest pulse on the Colts from an ownership standpoint? My first guess would be, no, I, I, I hate to give the wrong answer here uh, Mortensen easily Chris Mortensen yeah. easily Chris Mortensen's tweet earlier this week a few teams owners included have discussed Lamar Jackson's case one team was hesitant because of the number of games snaps and practices Lamar missed the last two to three years compared to the money invested also they wonder if his sleeping habits and nutrition contribute to his absences nobody speaks ill of his character now, sleeping habits and and nutrition. Uh huh. 
These sound like areas where I should be wearing a Lamar Jackson jersey. Actually, my nutrition's really good. My sleeping say, habit's pretty questionable. Does Marvin Harrison have some tasty cakes that maybe you and <laughs> you and Lamar can can share. No, I, I my my sleep my nutrition is fine. Sleeping habits questionable. I'd be willing to bet there is some Jim Ursay indirect messaging behind that tweet. Yeah. Uh, Ursay probably even more so the former. I, I I think the concern about his durability is yeah legitimate. i don't I, i'm not gonna act like i know anything about his sleeping habits and his nutrition i trust me you all told me last thursday when i took off my shirt that my nutrition <laughs> I, I didn't say a word well no I, i'm talking to our listeners um <laughs> and again constructive no, criticism granted. was needed i was offered a few uh, you know hey if you want to come work out at my facility you know this is where we're at i'm very grateful i i, I think it, it wasn't necessarily Apparently, even so much that you were topless, but I think you had, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a you're having issues controlling your laughter right now. <laughs> you had a lungs in each hand and a PBR tempting you. A PBR right? tempting did not go full PBR. Now I will warn you: a week from tomorrow is what? A week from tomorrow. Come on, Mark. Oh. The Super Mario Brothers movie comes out. Ugh. Thursday. What, Jake? Even you know this. Monday's the final four. What comes three days after the final four? And Jim Nance is, you know, praised like none other for one shining moment. A full week. A tradition unlike any other. Thank you. If Tiger wins, I. It might have to be the lower half that that. Okay. That, that, that comes. Well, I'll be on vacation okay. that week then. Speedo. I, <laughs> If I can get a Tiger Speedo, don't you think it has to be worn? That type of apparel is more fitting for the uh, Waste Management Open than sure. the Masters. That's a very good point, Mark. Yeah, it probably would not be allowed inside the gates of Augusta National, but if Tiger is able to don a green jacket a week from Sunday, about 7 p.m. Why don't you do, what if you did the show in just a green jacket and a, and a Tiger Speedo? Do you have a green jacket? Why are, uh, why are you pushing for this? No green jacket, no tiger speedo, but we would we would need to make that happen. <laughs> now, that would be a little bit... We'd kind of be scurrying around town Sunday evening to potentially find those items. Out of the... How many millions of people live in Indy? There are thousands, I should say. 1.7. 1.7 Metropolitan area? How many people do you think own a tiger speedo? Oh, there's probably some people on Lafayette Road, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be fair. What did three? How many own a green jacket? No, I I think a decent amount. Okay. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day angle. Kevin, I once had a meeting with somebody that was trying to hire me for something. Just googling Tiger Speedo right now. While and when I story. asked how much I could possibly get paid up front, they stood up and very emphatically said zero. Zero, just like that, which is what I think the odds are that Tiger Woods is going to win the Masters. I can hear it in my head. Mark, what are the odds, if you don't mind looking that up? Zero! I, I will look them Zero. up. I'll see if they're even posted yet. I, I will say, and, and you know, again, we'll have we'll Haskett on, on next week to chat a little bit more about this, but I do think, based off what he did earlier in the year at Riviera, there's a little bit more of a belief that he could compete at a relatively I, I high level compared I get that to the it is very years. naive to rule him out i get it you taking tiger or phil to finish higher next week uh, you know I, in all honesty at that course i think he that that course he just has it figured out i mean y- if you were intelligent you would which i'm not you would say 
not to I'm not saying for him to win it, but but I do think that he will more likely than not show himself well. Did you you wanted the odds of Tiger Woods to outright win the Masters? Uh-huh. Correct. Well, put your money down right now. Plus fifty five hundred. I was going to guess four thousand. Same odds as Justin Rose. I think the Tiger Speedo would have to be placed on the bottom. Phil Mickelson, uh, plus twenty eight thousand. I have a feeling that with a Speedo on, you would be you would like from the side, you would look like a birdbath. I'm trying to picture that. I'm trying to move the, away from the, me and a I'm trying not to, to picture to, that. To, to the, the bird side by angle. side of you and ET was pretty strong. <laughs> uh, yeah, who was, was that? Jason, listener, Jason. You got to yeah. admit it. <laughs> I, I, I will. I, I'm kind of like the Pacers peeking around the corner with the white flag to Jason. I'm peeking around the corner and just giving a slight <laughs> hat tip to him. The angle, mm-hmm. the angle was not your friend. Nah, it wasn't and one when of the you best. leaned into the camera to hand Sam, you a didn't donut. think about maybe like asking me about the picture before posting it. <laughs> What's that? You didn't think about asking me, hey, you know, is this your best angle? I remember when the Hard Knocks cameras were in here, you were very conscious of where the cameras were at. point. You seemed very proud. I didn't want to rain on your parade. Kevin, any thoughts of who the favorite for the Masters is? It gotta be Scheffler, right? Chevy Basteros. No. Scheffler is second. Rom? Nope. Rom is third. Is it Rory? Rory. How close are those three? They got plus seven hundred for Rory, Scheffler plus seven fifty, Rom plus eight fifty. So then drops big time after that, then it's Jordan Speeth plus seventeen hundred. Who's the highest live? Is it Cameron Smith, Dustin Johnson? Do you see those names? Cameron Smith is yes, the the fifth highest uh, plus twenty one hundred. Yeah, that'll be a big storyline next week. For Dustin the Johnson plus 3,200. Uh, as was the site last Thursday in studio, it is a gorgeous Wednesday here in Indianapolis. Again, Nigel Pack joins us at 9, Tucker Barnhart at 9.30. Fun article in the Indianapolis Star this morning from Dana Benbo featuring Eastern Green High School. Dusty May, of course, a graduate of Eastern Green. And if you go on... I'm not sure who it was that pointed this out from a national standpoint, but somebody uh, nationally went on Eastern Green High School's Wikipedia page. I've done this when we've had people on that we've been interviewing folks, and I'll say, hey, you know, look it up your high school here, and here are famous people that went to your high school. The only notable alumni for Eastern Green High School was list, list Dusty May. And of course... The pride of Eastern Green, nothing against Dusty May at all, but I think one could argue, certainly within this state, the bigger alumnus of Eastern Green would be none other than JMV. John Michael Vincent, of course. I mean... Is he going? I know he was talking about busing down to Houston or riding down to Houston. I don't know. I mean, I talked to him last night... um, he didn't mention it, but we didn't get into necessarily what we're doing for the Him weekend, and Dusty but. were talking about that on Monday. It's crazy, Jake, that Dusty May is 12 years older than the begin of the basketball program there. That is. Dusty May of 46. I believe the program debuted in 1988. I mean, think about that. Indiana had won, what, five national titles by the time FAU yeah. debuts as a program? Yeah. I that is, a, I mean, that is, and I don't even know, did they start out in Division One right away? It's a good question. I mean. I wonder it, how many high school gyms in our state are bigger than FAU's gym. Oh. 
2,900, did I see that correctly? Yeah, I mean, there's got to be 20 at least, right? At least. Uh, yeah. I mean, North Central's is bigger. Say at least, yeah. Now, I always forget this. Isaiah Thomas was Florida Atlantic or Florida International. I oh, Am I the only one that gets those two totally confused? Yeah, and you know, T.Y. Hilton you know, is involved. T.Y. Hilton and, and Isaiah Thomas were both Florida International. Okay. But Lane Kiffin is FAU. Gotcha. They okay. showed Tom Herman a few times the other night. Did you see that? He's really? a, he's our new coach. Okay. Uh, they were D two, Jake, to start off. For how long? A uh, handful of years. And then Atlantic Sun, and then Sun Belt, and most recently, Conference USA. And again, two thousand two was their only tournament appearance. They got on a run in the A Sun tournament. That's the only time they've been in the tourney. I, you know, we said this on Monday when Ken Lavica, their radio host. By the way, if they win on Saturday, we've got to have Ken Lavica's energy oh. Monday morning, right? <laughs> That guy was awesome. We got to. And his look is great. Yeah, he's like a little mountain man looking oh, guy. He looks great. He looks, looks like he should be the play-by-play voice for West Virginia. He looks like Yukon Cornelius. <laughs> he looks awesome. He looks like the play-by-play guy for West Virginia, he said. I can only imagine what, you know, if he showed up to the villages, how beloved he would be in that area. I, um, I said this to him on Monday. To me, Jake, yes, they won 30 games. It was a great season. There was some hype and chatter about them throughout the year. Like, it's not necessarily George Mason where Correct. I don't feel like we had that entering the I'd tournament. I'd agree with that. But when you compare it to I Butler. Mean, they were ranked most of the year. Sure. And a lot of people thought on Selection Sunday they were underseeded. But when you look at the Butler comparison from 2010, where FAU, I think, just kind of dwarfs Butler, is the historical nature of it. You know, Butler, and again, this is to Thad Mata and to Todd Licklider and Barry Collier even and Brad Stevens' credit. You know, Butler had been to multiple Sweet 16s. I think Butler had won eight tournament games. I know it's not a ton. I think they had won eight tournament games as a program before that NCAA championship game run. FAU had played one game in tournament history, had been there once. You know, had became a program in, in 88. So I think when you talk about that aspect of the history of the program, that's where Cinderella applies to it. If Florida Atlantic were to win it all, I'm not even going to say that, actually. I don't know that they need... If, if they were able to parlay this, let's say they go back next year and they're back in the Sweet 16, or they just become a team that you know, is around, right? And is a power or, you know, a legitimate ranked team each year. Wouldn't they eventually get the call? And I have no idea, Kevin, what the school is like academically. I know that Scotty Johnson's sister teaches there, but doesn't it feel like a bigger conference, notably like the ACC would come calling, especially with all this realignment. If somebody were to leave, you know, if we're, if, I just have no idea what their facilities look like. I mean, I know yeah. what their basketball stadium lo- or arena looks like, and it's not very big. I mean, football-wise, you know, again, they've had some notable coaches. I think that has more to do with the we're you know two minutes away from a recruiting hotbed, and we'll just take all the leftovers, and we'll still have a pretty good football program. Yeah, not just Dusty May, John L. Davis, who had is their leading score, had the steal on Marquise Noel to clinch. Their birth and their win of the East Region, the Gary native, uh, Todd Abernathy. Remember him? He was similar. I think the same son grade of as Tom, my, right? Uh, yeah, some son of Tom, same grade as my brother at Clay Junior High. That he could fill it up back in the day. I think he went to Heritage Christian. 
after Clay, and then played at Ole Miss. Does that sound right? That sounds right. Ole Miss, by the way, one of the three teams to beat Florida Atlantic this year. Really? They lost to Ole Miss, they lost to UAB, and they lost to Middle Tennessee. Say Some game kind of late in the conference season. Another thing I was looking at, Jake, because I think we did this with Indiana and Purdue in respect of their conference tournaments. You know, is it good to win your conference tournament? Is it bad to win your conference tournament? You know, that whole, like, how do you want to be entering the month of March, or I should say entering the tournament. Both Florida Atlantic and San Diego State won their conference tournaments. Both would have gotten in, certainly, had they lost. They both won. Uh, Miami, they lost to Duke in the ACC tournament semifinal. Now, their big guy, Omer, he got hurt in the first game, didn't play against Duke, so obviously that had some impact. Maybe got hurt early in the Duke game. Uh, Didn't play a substantial part of the game. And then UConn lost to Marquette in the Big East semi. So, um, again, I don't know if there's some, oh, yeah, you want to get on a run or you don't want to get on a run, but in two teams' cases, they did win their conference tournaments. The other two, they both lost in the semis. Uh, By the way, Florida Atlantic, I did not realize this, is joining the American Athletic Conference in July. Really? Yeah. Now, the American is getting plucked by all the Big Big 12, right? Yeah, see, that's the thing, and... the it feels like Kevin the non Big Ten like SEC Big Twelve merger whatever in other words the four big conferences and I, I don't even put the Pac twelve in there anymore because they're kind of getting plucked around but it feels like all those mid tier conferences I, there's just going to be constant shuffling mm-hmm. and moving around Conference USA and the American Athletic and you know the I don't know whichever the Sun Belt, you know, all those just feels like those schools are all just kind of just pick and choose and place them wherever, you know. And Jim makes a great point here, and I felt this in his post game media sessions as well. And honestly, the first person I've thought of is Brad Stevens. Jim goes, Can you ever remember a coach looking as cool and calm on the sideline as Dusty May? The guy is smiling during the game's biggest moments. It, I've sent, and I know it's just such an, I don't know, maybe it's just kind of a layup comparison. Just purely off of stoic nature, Jake, it's like Brad Stevens watching him. And then post game, he answers these questions and they're like eight word answers. I'm like, that's it? I mean, like, you're just leading a Cinderella to. To the final four here, and he honestly he's much more expansive with with John when he's been on right now uh, from a radio standpoint. But that's kind of the vibe. I've always felt this. I I, I do think you take on the persona of your head coach. I thought that's what Kim made Mulkey's Butler a lot like that, right? Uh, Kim Mulkey is an exact one eighty. <laughs> Kim Mulkey is the Bob Knight of sideline demeanor here in twenty twenty three. Friday night, the second game, you can watch Kim Mulkey. Uh, and actually, I think it might be the first game. Uh, yeah, she's nuts. Were Were John and Dusty May? Um, did they know each other? I, Dusty like uh, Dusty's school? younger, right? Yes. How old's John? Three years older than me. Two years older than me. Fifty three, and Dusty's forty six. But did they know each other? I mean, it's a smaller. I think John is referenced right? like he used to umpire, you know, little league games that Dusty would play in. I mean, I would assume they obviously knew of each other, but it's not like they were teammates, you know, or they're not that close in age. the The other two, you know, we talked a lot about Connecticut. We talked about Florida Atlantic. We have not talked a lot about again Nigel Packin and Jordan in forty five minutes with Miami. 
Uh, we haven't talked much about San Diego State at all, Kevin. It feels like San Diego State is – this is an interesting Final Four because there's – I used to always say, like, when I was a kid, and I have this weird ability for, like, about a 20-year stretch of the 70s and 80s to, to be able to recite, like, everything – like, I had, like, a photographic memory about Final Fours up to a certain point, and then they kind of blur together. But there was always, typically, the Final Four – would be there was always one out of left field participant. And this year's Final Four is obviously unique because, for the most part, it's four out of left field participants. Connecticut, to your point, you know, Connecticut is a four seed. That's not, and Miami is good, obviously has been good all year as well. But San Diego State's the one that, and I think it's because they play on the West Coast. We don't see a lot of their games, they're in a smaller league. But they've been good. This is a program that's been pretty good, Kevin, for, what, five to ten years now. I mean, Kawhi Leonard came out of there. You Jake know, this is a pretty good program. talked about it yesterday. I know here from a Midwest standpoint, and my wife has some great friends that are Dayton season ticket holders. You think back on the COVID year, Dayton was the team that you felt like just got robbed. I mean, Dayton basketball is about to be a one seed. Obi Toppin, you know, there's going to be a... A national player of the year and all, all of this, and then they don't get to participate in the tournament, of course. San Diego State that year, they started twenty six and zero. I think they were like thirty and two or thirty one and two entering the tournament. They had already played their conference tournament, um, so they would have been, you know, one of the teams that would have been probably a one seed uh, had that tournament happened. But you know, it's really just kind of a common theme, whether it's Brian Dutcher now or Steve Fisher before. It's a team that is defensive minded to the nth degree. They've got some dudes from an athlete, physicality, length standpoint. And the stat to me that continues to be so wild, you go back to their conference title game against Utah State. Obviously, Utah State played in the tournament. They lost to Missouri. And then that now they've played four tournament games. So in their last five, they've held three of those five teams to their season low in points. Alabama's point total, I think, was the third lowest they've scored all year. And then Creighton on Sunday was their second lowest. You know one thing we also haven't talked about, Kevin? The Creighton, and I know it's it's probably passe now, but uh, the Creighton-San Diego State shot, we, we briefly touched on it, but at the end of the game, the that foul, foul that was called, the foul that was called, or, I'm sorry, the yeah, the, the foul that was called on Creighton with a second to go or point whatever to go, um, that gave San Diego State the free throws that ultimately won the game. He hit one of two. Would you have called it? To you, was it a foul? My issue was this, Jake. Ryan Nemhard gets beat on the play, definitely. Um, my problem is I believe that as an officiating crew, in the first five to ten minutes of a game, you make it clear to those teams how the game's going to be officiated that day. Like, you, based off how you call the game early on and throughout the first half, you're telling that team in the second half, just give me consistency. That, that That's all I ask for. Don't all of a sudden go back to the rule book or deviate too much. Give me consistency. In that game... So you're saying if you didn't call that with 12 minutes to go in the game, you don't call it with 12 seconds correct. left. Correct. Yeah. And my issue for that is, in the game... The teams, I believe, combined for 17 free throws, which is a really small number. 17 free throws in the entire game. 
if you average those two teams' free throw attempts throughout the year, I think the number was 34. So basically, you've said to Creighton and San Diego State, you guys get to the foul line. You guys foul at a decently high rate. But today, we're not doing that. We're letting you play is basically what they said. Again, the foul attempts were about half. If you look at the foul numbers, it was a very small number of fouls called in the game, period. So I thought, based off 39 minutes and 10 seconds of basketball, you had already said, we're going to keep things to kind of a minimum in terms of the foul calls. You know, by the letter of the law, was it a foul? Probably. But again, I'm more of a believer of you're going to tell us throughout the course of a game how the game's being called. And based off that, I don't think it should have been called. Yeah, I, I did think that it was... And I, I know a lot of people would say, I'm dead in the wrong. Well, I, I, can, totally I can go both ways. I, I, I can see both sides of it. I do think that... Maybe I'm in the minority here. I do feel like the inertia of the shooter was affected by the contact. Great word. Shooter? Uh, inertia. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I felt like his, if he had just simply touched him, that's one thing, but I did feel like that he, he, that he, his arm broke the plane, if you will, in, in touching him for lack of a better phrase, but I that th- would be tough, man. D- d- those free throws. Well, he missed the first. I, I know. I, and, I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, oh man, if he misses the second, can you imagine there was a little time left, right? Oh, yeah, because Creighton threw it in, and they almost had you know point one on the clock after that. I was thinking, you know, how much time was even left on the clock? I know we have this conversation, Jake, a lot. Like mid January every year. I mean, hell, early January every year, we're like same teams in the college football playoff. You know, it's a same, you play out the year, and it's the same old, same old. And I'm just sick and tired of it. Should we then be? loving this final four because it's not the same old that's that's the we had the blue bloods last year we had nova we had carolina we had kansas we had duke that's kind of the hypocrisy here is the fact that what do people say tv ratings will say this is awful bingo yeah you always hear that from people right like i'm just tired of the same old thing i'm tired of alabama clemson and ohio state in the college football finals and i'm tired of the same you know duke kentucky north carolina kansas in the final four and then you get one like this, and it's like everybody's like, "Oh, you know what? We actually got movie passes." You know, I mean, I- which again, don't say that to the people in the villages. Six oh nine Saturday night. If they're going to be rocking, <laughs> rocking. If it, if at the second time out, San Diego State is up. 21 to 10. I mean, Florida Atlantic, if they get a big lead, either one of those two teams could get a lead early. Don't get me wrong. If Florida Atlantic does, I do think that you start because Florida Atlantic has kind of that Cinderella feeling to it. Just because, to your point, I, most people were relatively unfamiliar with their program. So it would be like, oh my gosh, you know, this, this great little engine that could is still going. If San Diego State comes out and like what happened to George Mason in the Final Four, and they just immediately get down, you know, what are the numbers going to be? People are going to be like, okay. Yeah. Obviously, the second game is the bigger game, but yes, I am not expecting Who that at all. Who do you think in this village uh, that you're talking about, which is a retirement community in Florida, sure. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Who do you think is the big musical act? Like like if they do like little concerts and things like that, 
Who who's packing them in? Well, you got to think Elton John. Well, he wouldn't be playing there though, would he? That's hey, too big of a name for the villages, I would think. Tell that to a Final Four participant. Yeah, he was some, yeah, I mean, honestly, if you just throw a tribute up there, they all would believe it's Elton anyways. <laughs> we drove past the villages on the Melton drive back. John. I mean, none of golf carts I saw flying right. by. All right, one free drink and one free blue pill. Lucky you better out, be folks. careful. Slow down a little bit. You guys realize you're laughing about this. You realize that I'm like eight years from <laughs> the age of eligibility to live this in the front row. I told you I was on vacation with the family. I was actually just scouting a future retirement home for, for Jake here. <laughs> you guys yeah. send me uh, off. Pat's pretty accurate, I think, with this. He goes, I, I see both sides in the foul call. In the moment, Nemhard knows he's beat. He's not thinking about how the game has been ref previously. He's just playing catch up foul. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I could be wrong. Um and Jake, I'll be fully honest there probably is a little bit of me it's like i just wanted to see the game go to overtime fair but i do feel like consistency with foul calls now is bo Borowski going to join us later this week i think so yeah i haven't that'll be a good question to ask him right how much consistency matters did you find it interesting at all the the guy that made that foul call did not get a final four assignment yeah i wonder how much you know, are those things that we'll ask Bo that too? I mean, are those kind of decided before even that last round of games? Or does that factor I in? I think you take the entire tournament into yeah. the evaluation process. And, you know, what you have nine officials plus what? I think one sits on the, you know, kind of scores table throughout a game. So 12 get Final Four assignments. I mean, that's a lot. You would assume their Elite Eight officials and are. And didn't Bo tell us also, I believe, they don't know their assignment until they get down there. Like, they don't know which game they're getting until they get down there. Interesting. I, I vaguely remember him saying that when he was in the studio with us. The other thing that I find interesting is that there are not specific Big Ten officials or ACC officials because they they interchange. You might do – I mean, you might have one league that you do more than others based on where you live – but you may be a Big Ten official that does Michigan State-Iowa on Tuesday, and then on Thursday you're doing Wake and Clemson. You know what I mean? So It's I, like but, the Robbie, Robbie Hummel of broadcasting. I feel like he does a little bit of everything. He does. That is true. Um, I will be very surprised if San Diego State or Florida Atlantic run away from each other. I just don't think either of them well, are Well, it's really hard to run away from built. San Diego State because they got that Aztec yell, right? In that way. They're, they're, they're constantly with... I think it's one of the more horrifying sounds out there. <laughs> Is this actually a guy? No. Well, who, who's... The blowing of a whistle. It's a whistle. Oh, it is? Yeah. Told you it's the death whistle. I thought it's like a screaming guy. No. We have a vote for Jimmy Buffett and Tom Jones. Oh, Buffett's now, good. Yeah, Tom Jones. Jimmy be, Buffett, uh, by the way, fun fact about Jimmy Buffett. Probably Jimmy save Buffett. Tom Jones for Monday night in case Tom Jones get the blue, gets the blue hairs. Tom Jones is a good one. Here, here's a, a, before we get to the morning check down, your Jimmy Buffett fun fact of the day. Jimmy Buffett actually originally aspired to be a country type singer and had written a song. He, he was basically playing around at different like honky-tonk type bars. He moved to, I think it was Nashville, to launch his career in that in the uh, early to mid-70s. Couldn't necessarily get things going off the ground, but due to a connection of his manager, he was able to sell a song that Elvis was going to record for him, and that was going to be his big break, is that he was going to be a songwriter for Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley, unfortunately 
passed away before he could record the song. So his manager said, look, man, you're from Florida. Why don't you just go ahead and put your own spin on it? And so therefore, he went ahead and did it in himself. And the song was called Margaritaville. Hmm. Barry Manilow was another one. Barry Manilow, good one. I saw him in concert, by the way. We got Lollapalooza for the villages that we're just creating right here. Unbelievable. Barry Manilow is a good one. Free marketing that we have provided. He's over Uh, at the Zyrtec stage. (laughs) Uh, Maybe another brand. Uh, In an hour, Tucker Barnhart joins us. Opening day for Major League Baseball coming up tomorrow. And in 30 minutes, it is Nigel Pack to talk about his run with Miami and obviously their matchup with UConn coming up on Saturday night. Until then... Morning Checkdown. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Yeah, a little load management looks like from the Pacers right now. Tyrese Halliburton going to miss another game tonight. The Bucks are in town. Six to go for the Pacers as they are 33-43. and 11.5 point underdogs, the Pacers in this matchup. Giannis is probable. Milwaukee does have a back-to-back. Tomorrow, so Chris Middleton is listed as questionable. So you could see some Bucks resting. They're two and a half up right now on the one seed in the East. Again, the Pacers' number to be eliminated from the playoffs is four. That's a combination of losses by them or Bulls victories. The Bulls have seven to go. The Pacers have six. To Bulls go. are off. Uh, I'm sorry. Bulls are in. It. Let me see where the Bulls are tonight because uh, it's a pretty full slate of games tonight. Bulls are at home against the Lakers. Celtics, by the way, were not able to get up one of those games on Milwaukee last night because they lost to the Wizards 130-111 to uh, in that game. By the way, three-game win streak snap for Boston. Jason Tatum had 29. Jalen Brown had and 18 that's, for the Celtics. That result's good for the Pacers. If you look at the tank standings yeah. right now, oh, Indiana's thing. just – they're seventh. They're just one game back of Portland and Orlando for fifth – and six. Allow me to do a tankathon here, Kevin, since you mentioned it. Uh, the Pacers, as you mentioned, currently sitting in seventh. Here we go. Uh, we are doing the lottery right now. <laughs> what, what, what are we doing here, Mark? Looking at Aztec whistles again. Doing just love Mark's like, hold on, I'm not ready. You know, just. I'm not ready. He he calls for it at the random times. Uh, by the way, look up villages villages rates. While, while Mark looks this up or tries to find it. Or not? No. With the first pick, what? Have you found a in the twenty twenty three NBA Tankathon mock draft? The Indiana Pacers select Victor Webanyama. That's the third time in a row. Metropolitan's ninety two. I know. But look, Kevin will vouch for me here. What's it say? It is. Yeah, he is right. Uh, it is, I think, worth pointing out, 5, 6, 7, and 8 right now in the tank standings, very jumbled. For those curious about the math implications on that, if you have the fifth pick, you have a 42% chance at a top four selection. If you have the eighth pick, you have a 26% chance. This is also a year, quite frankly, where I do believe that four and maybe even three through eight are pretty interchangeable. You have two talents in this draft, Webb Yama and Scoot Henderson, that I think are far superior to the rest of the talent in the draft. This from um, Deaton's Docs on Twitter. Lapel's gym is 3,051 people in terms of capacity. That ranks 141st in the state. So if you're going to put FAU's gym in the state of Indiana, second, it would be at least 142nd because... I assume there's some in between 2,900 and 3,051. That is tiny. Teeny tiny. Um, 
Nigel Pack going to join us, by the way, in 30 minutes. Do we have anything else in the check down? Uh, just gonna going to mention Major League on? Baseball again coming up. Opening day is tomorrow. Uh, Cubs and Reds both at home to start their seasons. Uh, Indianapolis Indians, they've got the Storm Chasers of Omaha Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Day game Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Indians are off to Louisville next week. So if you want to get um, some AAA action and uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for their home games on that front. And Zach Eady, named yesterday to the, or named the, National Basketball Coaches Association Player of the Year. Jake, no surprise on that front. Uh, by the way, Kevin, somebody just sent me a thing. They have a friend that lives in the villages at the age of 52. There we go. <laughs> I thought he'd be 55 plus to do that. 52. Also boy. has one of the highest rates of STDs in the country. Hell yeah. Wait, <laughs> the person or the villages? <laughs> now I just want to clarify here. Good Educate God. and entertain here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a friend. This is a, a text that I just received. I think the 52-year-old's got to be one of the more coveted prospects in the, villages. in the villages. He is our age, 52. It's the weirdest thing to me with him being so much younger. <laughs> I thought uh, I read a few years ago the villages has one of the highest... Uh, the country's highest rates of STDs. Yowie, wowie. Okay. What's the don't hate the game, hate the play? I mean, you, I mean, you just kind of got to give credit <laughs> yeah, where credit is due. He's probably reeling it oh, in. Imagine, how, I mean, that's that's the CJ Stroud. You see the young fellow prospects. that moved in here? He's fifty-two. You know? That's Anthony Richardson type athletic traits. You know, Maud, go grab Stroud. your best. He had us over the other night, and we were up to almost nine. <laughs> you won't believe what year he was born. It's unbelievable. He talks about the seventies. <laughs> Yeah. Take your sciatica pills and meet me over at apartment 2H. (laughs) (laughs) Nigel Pack in 30. I could use one of those sciatic pills. Picturing the 52-year-old just doing the splits. People in awe in the villages of him. I don't know he can move like that. (laughs) Get a little leisure suit going on. Uh, Hey, Jake, I'm 50. Uh, I go visit my mom at her assisted living facility. And there's at least one older gal that hit on me <laughs> and asked which room I'm in. I explained I'm visiting my mother. Now I can see where all the STDs come from. Okay. Google search for the villages. We bring up the villages for their raucous environment towards Florida Atlantic. And Dusty May's bunch coming up Saturday night, 609 tip. Speaking of the state of Florida, no Would that be real- cougars? Is that in the age demographic or is that something else? The owls, cougars, uh, no easy transition here. Uh, did you see a, uh, honestly, a player, Jake, that I thought a lot of people would be back with the Colts? He's found a new home in Florida? Um, I did not. Elaborate, please. Uh, that would be Chase McLaughlin joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Good for him, though, because I thought he had a good year. Right? Agreed. Agreed. I thought he um, did a really nice job. Again, very consistent. Um, he has kind of bounced around, really, in his NFL career. And, you know, you look at him replacing Adam Vinatieri in 2019, what he did then. And I would think for an outdoor stadium, I'd assume Tampa would be one of the more favorable kicking environments that you would have. Um, so that is now the sixth. Colt to move on to a different team this offseason. It you know, we're approaching the end of March. The Colts started the offseason with 16 free agents. The only really notable ones left that have not found a home, Yannick Ngakwe, who you would think is not returning to Indy, but will obviously find a home at some point. A safety Rodney McLeod, who started 
pretty much every game for you. I think there's a little bit of a retirement debate with him. And that's pretty much it, Jake, from a notable standpoint. Bobby Okereke, Paris Campbell to the Giants. Brandon Faison to the Raiders. Matt Pryor, offensive lineman to the 49ers. Again, McLaughlin to the Bucks, And Byron Coward, who's kind of a rotational defensive tackle to the Chiefs. I'm really curious to see where Pryor plays this upcoming season. Like, isn't it a further indictment on the Colts if he signs somewhere else and plays anything but the left tackle? Because it's like, that means a team saw value in him as a blocker, but not at the position the Colts insisted he could play. Yeah, I actually thought if you brought him back here and you said, hey man, we screwed up big time last year. We told you to change your body. We told you to move from the right side to the left side, and that was a disaster on our part. We never should have put you in that situation. I thought if they would have looked at him and said, can you be a backup interior guy for you? I I could have actually seen that um, because I think he has been that in his career. Was that a bit in Philly? Was even that in Indy the year prior? Um, So that would be, I assume, what the 49ers are thinking. It's like, hey, man, let's just get back to your natural body type. He's more of an interior body. He's more of a right side of the line. He was talking last offseason about like, not only losing weight to play tackle, but also like doing boxing training and boxing as a lefty to like open your hips up to that side because right. he's so used to playing on the right side. So I mean that was quite the undertaking that he had to endure. I'm not you know, I know I'm kind of carrying his water a little bit here, but um I would assume San Francisco looks at it and says, Hey, come be our eighth offensive lineman primarily in the interior. You know, one of the guys from an offensive line standpoint that I think in the moment we probably took for granted in terms of his maturity and approach. Anthony Costanzo, Kevin, everything that you just mentioned, like Anthony Costanzo from the time that he was brought in, and he was kind of a doughy, goofy kid, I thought, coming out of Boston College. I mean, obviously, you know, already a great player in college, but I don't know that I've ever seen a player more dedicate himself to understanding the science of what he needed to do. And I I think you make a really interesting point about like at left tackle, figuring out the way that the movement of your hips, the the contortion of your body, the geometry of, of the way that your weight balances. I mean, all of those things, Costanzo like literally studied the physics of being yeah, an offensive lineman. That's a great lineman. point. Science is the perfect word to uh, use for him. Yes. And like he he would sit and talk for, and I know because I did radio shows with him, where he would sit and talk at length about studying the movement, the placement of his feet, everything. It was so much more than just the physical strength. Which, And then the other thing he did, you, we talked earlier in the show about Lamar Jackson and some team saying that they had concerns about Lamar Jackson's nutrition. Anthony Costanzo like took, I think it was two years in a row where he went to Florida and just lived at the IMG Academy and was like, okay. And he like hired a chef and the whole deal and completely transformed himself. I mean, it was impressive. Which is saying something because his parents own an Italian restaurant. Right. And like that also goes to show how, because he was obviously a very good left tackle and he came in a good one. And he left a very good one, but was extremely reliable. And but I, 
I mean, the hours upon hours upon hours that went into that in all aspects in commitment of a lifestyle commitment, you know, I can see also why he just got to a point, same with Tarek Glenn, where he's like, I'm good. Yeah, you know? you know, it's fitting that you bring him up. I just wrote something on our website about Bernard Ryman and going to be the left tackle this season. The Colts are banking on, you know, I thought he ended his rookie season on, on a pretty decent note, certainly better than how he started. And they're hoping for a little bit more just kind of growth with him, a little bit more physical development. You know, he came over the States as a teenager, you know, not a ton of American football background. Again, was a tight end initially in college before switching to left tackle. Obviously, quarterback has dominated the news cycle for the Colts here this offseason. Head coaching search dominated it. It would do wonders for this franchise if Bernard Ryman could lock up that left tackle spot. I mean, wonders. Yeah. Because... But it, it, it felt like he started to trend that direction, yeah, doesn't it? it and I'm, I'm okay with the Colts banking on that. You know, it, it, you've kind of backed yourself into a corner of when you didn't address left tackle late in the Costanzo years, immediately right after his retirement, and trying to kind of pass that torch a little bit more seamlessly at that spot, at some point, you're going to have to take a bit of a risk, and that's Ryman. And the fact that, you know, he's a third-round pick, again, there's development needed out of college from him, but if you get that right, you cross off such a pivotal need at such an important position and now you can focus your attention more so to quarterback and more so to wide receiver and edge rusher and, and cornerback and some of those other areas on your roster. Again, the um, we, we mentioned just a few minutes ago six Colts that have signed elsewhere in free agency. The five or the four that they've brought back uh, that would be Tyquan Lewis, EJ Speed, Ashton Doolin, and Tony Brown. Um, don't think any of those are necessarily starters on that end, but yeah, EJ Speed, not starter, Kevin. But the thing I like about EJ Speed is, I, and maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I don't know, but it feels like EJ Speed is kind of a a versatile guy that you can maybe used to fill a couple of different positions should they arise. Does that make sense? Yeah, a great special teamer. And again, some insurance there on the Shaquille Leonard front, which is another unknown. You know, EJ Speed is like the Brendan King of the Colts, right? Like, Oh, yeah. And I like I like uh, Bre- I love Brendan King. That's what I, I mean. I think like, Speed can, seems like a nice fellow too. Like Brendan King, though, you can you know he he serves many different roles here within what we do at the radio. So I mean, people who listen to the radio station know who Brendan King is. That's why I make the comparison. But he he can fill in in various different ways at, at different levels and do so all of them completely. It does a great job in whichever way you put him, whether it's sports talk or whether it's you know network indiana or whether it's you know running a whatever it might whatever you need he can do any of that that's kind of what ej speed to me you think when brendan king interviews for the cubs job one day he's gonna say you know people in my past have told me i'm the ej speed (laughs) they're gonna be like who yeah uh tarleton state is that not ringing a bell for you yeah ej speed ej speed actually when he interviews for his next free agency he's gonna say i'm the brendan king of the colts that's probably more likely right? Uh, it is something to note you know chris ballard's comments jim mercy's comments from the owners meeting you know ballard pretty much saying that for the foreseeable future he looks at both um kenny moore and ryan kelly as guys that will be colts uh, if you don't make a big cornerback move the rest of the offseason, 
that would be Kenny Moore, of course, as one starter. And then when you get into those three corner sets, Isaiah Rogers and Dallas Flowers. So you are banking on a lot of youth at that cornerback position. You know I'm a Dallas Flowers guy. Uh, The Pittsburgh State product, Dallas Flowers. Uh, Ryan Kelly and Kenny Moore, Jake, I would put them right behind Matt Ryan as most disappointing Colts from last season, considering the contract. You know, and it is interesting that that looks like Ryan Kelly, I mean, they're going to, they're going to go ahead and, and run that back again, right? Do you think that's smart, like thinking rookie quarterback, veteran center? Do you think that's any part of their of their thinking? Well, two ways to look at it. The first would be it certainly helps to have a, you know, a veteran center that is a smart guy, which Ryan Kelly is, that can, that can guide that. The other would be if you're going to make a change at center, you might as well do it when you have a new quarterback as well, right? You know what I mean? Like, in other words – does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, if, if you're going to go ahead and get a, a a rookie quarterback, you might as well get a center with him that's going to be there for the, for five years. So if you're going to make that change, you might as well do it now as opposed to have him getting used to working with Ryan Kelly and then in two years Ryan Kelly retires right. or whatever. Yeah, I can kind of look at it in both ways. Uh, Nigel Pack joins us in 10 minutes here. Kevin and Corey. There's got to be another... Villages concert, right? I mean, literally. We're on day three of Lollapalooza in the Villages right now. <laughs> Just picturing Dusty Megan crowd surfed. <laughs> how many? I mean, how beloved do you think Dusty May looks in the Villages? I mean, he doesn't look a day over 32 years old. I mean, I gotta be. Look at look at little Dusty up there. How many track him. suits do you think there are being worn in the villages? Oh, it's oh. all time record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it, it gives the, the Sopranos a run great for its material money. for the golf cart. You know, I always kind of mocked that stuff growing up, and then I look at it now. <laughs> this is how you know you're 50, and I'm like, man, that sounds pretty good, not- right? <laughs> yeah, you know. Nigel Pat going to join us here in a few. I did see this from. Um, Kyle Nenrip, always kind of one of the fun events each year. The Hall of Fame Classic announced for next year. That'll be at Newcastle coming up December 30th. If you are a fan of the Purdue Boilermakers, might be one to circle on the calendar. The 11 a.m. game will be Kokomo and Crispus Attics. That is Flory Badunga, of course, with Kokomo. I think Attics has got a young kid that's supposed to be a really highly ranked recruit and then the second game brownstown central that is jack benter purdue commit against canaan catchings and the brownsburg bulldogs so a couple of purdue prospects in that consolation game at six championship game to follow so. you know for a school the size that it is like we were talking about dusty may and the the list of the article in the indy star that he's the only person listed as notable alumni in JMV. Obviously, went to the same high school at Eastern Green. Athletically speaking, it's pretty amazing what Brownsburg has turned out, right? Yeah, they they're not messing around. Yeah, the, the, from an athletic program standpoint, they are not messing around at all. I called the um, with Brendan King, of course, the EJ Speed of that's right, Phillins. Uh, Brendan King and I did the Zionsville Brownsburg game this year. And boy, Brownsburg had some just, they had some dudes, both sides of the ball. Did I see uh, T.Y. Hilton's kids starting to get some offers? I would assume. Now, you said T.Y. Hilton's Florida Atlantic or Florida International? Florida International. Okay. I thought I saw he's definitely visiting places, and if I'm not mistaken, already starting to get a few offers. He'll be a junior. 
How big fall. is he? He he looked bigger than his dad, which I know it's not really saying much. Uh, I, mean, I know he's a good player. I, I want to say he was over six foot. And his dad's what five nine, one eighty on a good day. Yeah, he's a good. I mean, he's a really good player, right? And has been really from the time that he started playing in high school. Um, Zinesville product. That was a boy. That was a that game turned in a hurry. Brownsburg dominated him. And T.Y. Hilton. Is he done? I was just going to ask you that. I mean, he got that late contract with the Cowboys. He actually made a couple good plays for them, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he'll be 34 coming up later this year. So be curious to see if, again, T.Y., he just, he's not one of those receivers that likes to do a whole lot of, you know, he's not Odell Beckham at the league meetings right now, walking around, meeting with teams, et cetera, et cetera. Granted, I know they're different ages, but T.Y. is... On the diva wide receiver meter, he is on the other end of the spectrum when you think of though and I would think that would be attractive to some college coaches out there. Yeah, I was talking to a parent of a Zinesville player back in the fall and they were saying, Oh yeah, T- the T Y and and um Eugene's mom, they're, they're great people. Great people and the kids great, so I would think that would be enticing from a college coach standpoint. All right, Tucker Barnhart at 9.30 as opening day for Major League Baseball gets underway tomorrow. Coming up next, Nigel Pack, the Lawrence Central product, the most outstanding player in the Midwest region. He's in the Final Four. He joins us next. I can only imagine, Kevin, what the week probably is like for our next guest that we're going to talk to in a minute, Nigel Pack, just because can you imagine the I think for a lot of guys, they'll tell you that by the time the game comes around, that's like the relief, right? Because of all the, admittedly, and I'm appreciative that he's, you know, going to join us here. But I mean, the everything from ticket requests to, you know, family reaching out to media requests, to, you know, and you forget, I mean, schoolwork as well. And people can snicker all they want, but I mean, that's the reality also. I, you know, there's a lot going on, right? You know, Miami's had such a wild run when you think about it, Jake. I mean, they were down eight to Drake with about five minutes to go in the opening round. I mean, you're staring an upset right in the face. Then for Nigel Pack, I'm sure there was a lot of emotions in playing Indiana on that Sunday night in round two. Then they beat the number one seed in Houston. You get to the Elite Eight, and you're down three. 13 to Texas. I mean, probably what, midway point of the second half, right around there. And you come back and you win that one. Um, they haven't had the the breaks in the bracket like certainly Florida Atlantic and a little bit of UConn have had. I mean, it's been consistent from a seed standpoint that Miami's had to go through. And it's been a crazy impressive run. And I mean, Nigel Pack, most outstanding player of the Midwest region. You know, think about everything he went through in the offseason, Jake, and obviously, financially, extremely well compensated. But there was a lot of chat in the offseason, Jake, about that kid's getting that money. I know. He's not even that I mean, good. It, he he you put know? an expectation on himself, right? And you put a target on your back like that. You go down there. It's a much different looking team. It's a much different looking conference. They win the ACC. They obviously are one of the final four teams standing. And him individually to be the most outstanding player, hell of a year for Nigel Pack. Yeah, I mean, Miami in general just 
a buddy of mine said it best. He said, look, I knew when Indiana played Miami that they were really good. I didn't know necessarily – I didn't realize their final four good. But they – the other thing about them is they're just very composed, right? I mean, they're very poised. When they were down to Texas, there was a point in that game with Texas, like, it's over. Like, put the Longhorns in the final four, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a minute, what happened? You know, here they come. And pardon the pun, but they weathered the storm, and here they are, final four. Hopefully, um, well, I guess Mar- Mark just relayed this message. He's been talking with the Miami SID. Unfortunately, it looks like uh, Nigel a little bit under the weather here on this Wednesday morning. So he will not be joining us, Mark? No, they said he has to cancel all interviews today. He's got a sore throat and has to go see the athletic trainer before practice. Very sorry. That's a bummer. I'm um, looking forward to that conversation with Nigel Pack. Jake, I don't pretend to have any super close... Like I said, I, I mean, honestly... I. I totally get it because the the amount of things that you would have to do, I can see even at that age and that le- and I know people can be like you're in the best shape of your life, you're an athlete. I get it, but I'm telling you, you got to be running rampant. Um, I see where it wears you down. He was on with I think maybe I mean Jimmy Cook and Dane Fife last week. I, I forget exactly who the noon to three show was. Uh, seems like a pretty good kid, you know, based off just post game interview stuff that I've heard and, and enjoyed the interview with him. Um, so hopefully we can get him on at some point or if Miami wins it all maybe we can get him on my next week. sister my sister Juge taught at Lawrence Central for years and she just retired from Lawrence Central former Lawrence Township teacher of the year by the way um, she said this about Nigel Pack thank you she said phenomenal kid um, stellar student stellar character beloved by all peers and faculty a goal setter and goal attained Another example of Lawrence Central athletic excellence under Gooden. Let's go Bears. Fight, fight. Now, That's Gooden right. is the basketball coach, correct? Yeah. and I Just retired, did I see that right? Is that resigned, right? maybe? That was – they don't have it anymore, but that was the hardest gym to play in. Did you ever play in the, the old LC, like, mini Astrodome gym? No, but I, I oh, vividly re- remember seeing it. I mean, it was so hard to shoot in, but – They've gone some serious renovations. He would there. not have – I was trying to figure this out. Would Nigel Pack, he would have missed Kyle Guy by one year, right? Well, I think he was on the Jake LaRavia, um, Davis brother teams. That was, and again, Jake, that was COVID. That was the COVID year. Um, And boy, I'm trying to think of it, and not to go down this path, but wasn't was LC hosting kind of one of those big events that they look back on and end up being kind of super spreader and several? I went to the I went to the game there. Um, Was it at LC? Lawrence Central was the sectional host. I went to go watch because my buddy Torian was playing for Tech in that sectional. They played maybe two nights of games, and then, you know, obviously COVID like shut the world down. I mean, Rudy Gobert tested positive, and we know what happened there. But that was the sectional. I hate to bring up a negative here, Kevin, but the hospitality room at Lawrence Central. There were like two from Warren, Paul Logan, the beloved athletic director at North Central. Mm-hmm. One, um, like not assistant, but but kind of a booster or a, an administrator of some sort from Lawrence North, and I think maybe one or two people from Lawrence Central that all 
ended up getting testing positive for COVID shortly thereafter. Maybe it's co- I mean, I think now, you know, who knows? Like two years later, you can look back and you can go, they could have gotten out of Meyer. Who knows, right? Um, or just out and about in the general public is what I'm saying. But, you know, there were three or four that Paul Logan being one of them, the gentleman from Lawrence North being one of them, that, that unfortunately, you know, did not survive. And yes, in the initial time period, it was, well, that, that room was a super spreader. I, I think we now know, who, who knows? But it certainly seemed pretty coincidental. Yeah, and again, Nigel Pack was at LC um, on those teams. Obviously, Jake LaRavia. Jake LaRavia was first rounder, right, last year? Yes. Um, and I want to say the Davis brothers are now at Seton Hall, maybe? Um, Wasn't there one that went to, to Louisville out of there? Yeah, and I think they transferred to Seton Hall. I could be wrong on that. But yeah, they had lost to LN. LN was kind of the, the, the one team that was the thorn in their side throughout. I want to say LN might have been the only team that even beat them that year. We had Kyle Medrip on last week to talk state finals, and I asked him about Nigel Pack, and um, yeah, I'm pretty sure Kyle said that that LC team was like 22-3, and three and LN was the only team that beat them all year long, which obviously... The rivalry uh, impact there. So Nigel Pack, John L. Davis. Am I missing anybody else from a player standpoint? Indiana connections in the Final Four. In the Final Four, uh, gosh, I, I don't think so. There wouldn't be any for Connecticut or San Diego State, right? Yeah, I don't think anybody else on that end. Um, we mentioned this a little bit yesterday, and I think it's grown in kind of the rarity of this Final Four. So someone mentioned no McDonald's All-Americans on any of these four teams. No AP All-Americans on any of these four teams. And again, the All-American team has a first, second, and third team, so 15 players on it. And if you look at mock drafts, maybe Jordan Hawkins from UConn, who I think will end up going in round one. But think about that combination, Jake. High school, college, pro. You know, when you're evaluating talent at those three levels, things can get skewy. Players don't necessarily pan out. But it, it is kind of a wide-range group. McDonald's All-Americans don't necessarily become college basketball All-Americans, don't necessarily turn into first-round picks. You know, there's all types of sizes and shapes and backgrounds of players that become All-Americans, that don't play in the NBA, that you know become first-round picks, etc. So in that kind of wide-ranging group, this Final Four's got none of it pretty much. None of the high school hype, none of the great college player, and no one that's really projected to be a first-round pick outside of Hawkins. It's such a unique, unique Final Four when you put it, I think, in those terms. Let me read you Connecticut's roster, okay? This is probably right now, I mean, obviously the favorite to win the national championship at this point, they weren't all year, but at this point, yeah. Final Four participant Connecticut. Let me read you their roster, okay? Not the names, but just... Okay, IMG Academy, uh, Brooklyn, New York, McDuffie School. Okay, East Catholic High School in Glastonbury, Connecticut. Molly, I hope I'm saying that correctly, the, the country of Molly. That's Sonogo, right? The big okay. guy? Correct. Um, Gaithersburg, Maryland, DeMatha, which has obviously been a power. Israel, uh, another player from Israel, another player from Connecticut, another player from Greece, Another player from Togo. Another player from Connecticut that went to prep school. And then 
another player from New York that went to Monteverde Academy, prep school, basketball academy essentially, and a player, last player from New York that went to a prep school. I mean, that that's from all over. You got like two kids from Connecticut, three internationally, three or four from the, the basketball prep schools and academies. I mean, that's college basketball in 2023 right there. The other thing I was curious about, Jake, in regards to the Final Four, obviously in Nigel Pack's case, we see it because from a transfer portal st- standpoint, you know, it's been pretty well well documented. And I think when Indiana played them in the second round, you started to look at, oh, wow, you know, the big kid, O'Mare, came from Arkansas State, I believe. Jordan Miller's had a really good tournament for Miami, came from George Mason. If you look at UConn and FAU, Miami has, you know, some of their top players are transfers. San Diego State, kind of similar. UConn and FAU, though, are a bit different. UConn has some transfers, but really only like one in their top five or six guys. So they are kind of an organically built team. There are definitely transfers on their roster that play, but not as meaningful minutes as San Diego State and and Miami. And FAU, the big kid from Texas Tech, and that's really it from a transfer standpoint. So it's kind of a mixed bag of, I think we're so quick to say, oh yeah, you know, transfer portal, that's the only reason why we're having these four teams. I, that I did miss, you're right. They have a transfer here. from East Carolina, a transfer from San Diego, a transfer from Virginia Tech, and a transfer for Texas A&M. So they have them, but Understood. not as but they're like, not their key part. Yeah, right. I mean, some of them definitely play, but not their necessarily frontline guys. The other thing about UConn, Jake, throughout this tournament, they have been just incredible in the second halves of games this this tournament. You know, they were kind of back and forth with Iona, Rick Patino and Iona round one. They've outscored their opponents in the second halves by 24-14-6. That was Arkansas when they had a 25-point halftime lead. Uh, and then 21 against Gonzaga. I mean, that Gonzaga game was pretty competitive for... You know, long stretches of the first half there. So UConn has just found a different gear in the second half. Speaking of crazy, along with Kim Mulkey, uh, the, that Hurley's pretty crazy too. On the so. sidelines. I mean, the Hurley family, basketball royalty, right? Their dad was a legendary high school coach. Obviously, you know, Bobby Hurley. Is Bobby Hurley going to stay forever at Arizona State? Is he still there? Yeah. God, I swear he's been there since Jake Plummer was there. And he's like, it's always like, oh, they're next year they're going to be really good, and then they start out eleven and zero, and everybody gets excited, and then by the middle of March they're thirteen and ten. Now I hate to get ahead of ourselves, but I do think it's a conversation worth asking. If FAU were to beat San Diego State, and then you were to have Miami upset UConn, can you imagine the push and pull in the split rooms in the villages <laughs> with FAU against Jim Laranega? on Monday night for it all. Probably very similar to that when they're trying to determine whether to have one of the remaining Gibb brothers or Barry Manilow for their mm-hmm. New Year's Eve yeah. celebration. I could see a lot of demonstrative <laughs> humans in there. A lot of hooting and hollering there. We'll see if that is a house divided. Now, up the on village, as somebody told me, is in Ocala, which is actually like four hours from Florida Atlantic, right? Is it really that far? I, th- I don't know. Let's see here. Mark, can you look this up? You oh, know what sure. we do on this program, don't you, Mark? We educate and entertain. That's right. So we're not doing the latter this morning, but can we at least educate people on where exactly the villages are? Sure. Let me pull you, it up. You give me the name, and I'll I'll type it in here, and we'll see how far it is from Boca Raton. Been uh, to Boca for an NFL owners meeting. It is. It's nice. About right? nice. Yeah. 
location. I mean, well, it, just yeah, as Florida, that doesn't help me at all. Come on. Uh, da, 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 20 miles south of Ocala. Okay, so Ocala. 45 miles northwest of Orlando. Oh, oh it yeah. is. It is far away. Well, we might need to bus them down to Boca for the game. <laughs> Four hours and 25 minutes. <laughs> You know how many episodes of Matlock you can watch in that amount of time? 262 miles. Not to mention. You kind of forget bus. Florida's a big state. Not to we? mention the bus is going 40 miles an hour. Yeah. So right? we would need Central Florida maybe to get on a run. Aren't they in Orlando? Disregard everything we've said in the last hour what about per, the villages. What percent of the people in the villages know what's, you know, what the heck? They're like, 40 hey, miles, Florida. 40 miles an hour, they might be yelling, slow down, sir, you're going too quick. That's right. There might be a couple of Bucky stops in there as well, right? Oh, yeah, if I'm driving the bus, there absolutely will be. <laughs> uh, Jake, Tamar Bates takes his next left-handed shot for which college basketball program? Boy. That's a really good question. Um, He's an IMG kid, if I'm not mistaken. So is Zach Eady. Wichita State. Isn't He's from Kansas, right? Yeah, he's from Kansas City, Kansas, which for those that don't know, Kansas City's a fascinating city because when I was there a couple of weeks ago, so we go to my buddy's house, Corey, who lived in Kansas City, Kansas, and we went to dinner in Kansas City, Missouri, which was five minutes away. It, it literally would be in Indianapolis – like if, I, I mean, I don't even if Spring Mill was the state line, Spring Mill Road. I mean, it's just you, you, you don't even realize you're crossing from one city to one state to the next. Pretty abrupt, you know. So, yeah, he's from Kansas City, Kansas. I, but you know, in today's day, who knows? He he could go to Kansas. Are you sure Bill Self has resorted to that? He struggled. Yeah, he struggled uh, big time. I thought he struggled shot selection and struggled making those shots as well. Um, you know, if you look at kind of mapping out things for Indiana right now, two guys in the portal, I, I assume that will grow. I, I would guess maybe another one in the mix there. Logan Duncan and Tamar Bates. Um, so they've got multiple scholarships to offer. Of course, they're losing you know, a good amount. Um, I would think you need a starting guard next to Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway. And, you know, we should probably have Zach Osterman on at some point to discuss this. You know, is it kind of a foregone conclusion that Xavier Johnson's 100% going to get that medical waiver? You would think. You would, if you're Indiana, you would have looked into that before, kind of, you know, electing to go down that path with him. Um, But you're going to need a starting guard with Galloway and Xavier Johnson, could that be C.J. Gunn? Is that definitely going to be a transfer portal guy? You obviously need a guard off the bench because, you know, as much as Tamar Bates struggled, he was your first and your only guard. You were bringing off the bench as the year moved along. We talked about kind of a shooter to replace Miller Cop. Certainly in the front court, minutes will go to Malik Renew. Some minutes will go to Kayla Banks and Jordan Geronimo if he stays. But you're going to need a transfer there. I mean, you're going to see... Like Miami, Miami has three notable transfers playing big-time minutes. Indiana, you're going to need probably three, if not four. Boy, to use the Dane Fife term, Portalette. Poor, I mean, banking on four guys to come in and impact like that. If I'm mistaken, Miami had some of those guys have been there for a couple years. So This kid at Towson State, are you familiar with Nick Timberlake? I, I've seen that name mentioned. I'm familiar with his cousin Justin. Times with <laughs> Indiana. Right. Nick Timberlake, 6'4", 
played at Towson. This is what always kind of like befuddles me. He's an 18-point-per-game scorer at Towson State. That's I, Nothing wrong with that. But so far, he has visited Indiana, North Carolina, and Rick Pitino with St. John's. I mean, so he's like this coveted player. Don't get me wrong. I, you'll take any guy that averages 18 a game. I get it. But you're averaging 18 a game for Towson State, like, is that really a guy that's going to put Indiana over the top? Well, I, that's the question, Jake. You know, is he the next Parker Stewart or is he the next one of these guys for Nigel Pack, right? Miami. Yeah. Well, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, Pack is transferring, you know, from Kansas State, obviously a Big 12 program. But you look at Jordan Miller from Miami, from George Mason. You look at o- Omir, their, their big guy from Arkansas State. I mean, those are more of the transfer. Uh, Jordan Miller had been at Miami for a couple seasons. Omir, this is his first year. So. Again, it's kind of the step up in competition from, you know, how are these guys going to be able to handle it? Because, you know, I think Indiana and Purdue would say the same thing, even though Purdue hasn't had the quantity of it. If you look at the transfers Purdue and Indiana have taken over the last couple of seasons, it's been a very mixed bag of results. Right. Very mixed bag. And I think Miller Cop would tell you, Jake, year one was a bit of a struggle, and then he settled in. Well, if you're Indiana, you need year one help I right away. I think Miller Cop, the thing that he did really well, there were two things that Miller Cop did that I think were underappreciated and overlooked. One of them is he did do a really good job at times. He had a very good sense, I thought, of sometimes it was to a fault. Sometimes he was not quick enough on the trigger of of shooting the ball, quite frankly, and he would rotate it when he probably should have taken open shots. But I thought he really he did a really good job at times of hitting timely shots for them. But also, he just was an important presence. I think that Miller Cop's shooting ability, the great testament to that was the fact, Kevin, that even in games when he didn't shoot the ball enough or a lot to the frustration of fans, he was keeping defenses honest, exactly. which was he will be things missed. up. Correct. There's not just this ready-made shooter that has that respect on the scouting report like Miller Cop did. I'm trying to think Dusty May related because I know it's a topic you know we were talking about earlier in the week, Jake. It looks like he he comes back, right? Yeah. Penn State. I would think because what's Penn State's the only thing really. Mike Rhodes from VCU is the rumored name there. FAU to VCU would not be smart. Probably lateral, right? Has Texas Tech filled yet? No. I I would like to think Dusty May could do a little better than that, right? I would agree. And the, don't they bring back theoretically the, the a good amount is, of that? The problem is here. Here's the problem: Dusty May is going to run into. Okay. Um, it's going to be a challenge for Dusty May in timing because your brand is never hotter than right now. Your marketability. Now, if they can you imagine if they come back and do another run? Yeah, if they Butler. Then it. suddenly he's Chris Beard or he's Brad Stevens, right? Or if in the next two years they go 500, then he's Paul Hewitt. Hmm. And it's like, okay, you know, then he's John Brady at LSU. And you go, okay, well, you know, he had one year where everything fell into place. I mean, I think he's a good coach, obviously, to your point, based on the fact that he's coaching a program that started 30 years ago. Jake, I asked you earlier, would you take UConn or the field here in the tournament? I'll throw another similar one at you. 
the next Indiana University basketball coach, you can have the field or you can have a pool of Brad Stevens, Michael Lewis, and Dusty May. You taking the field or you taking that trio to replace Mike Woodson in the year 2028? I would take that trio because, and I when I say this, I am fully bracing myself to be mocked till the cows come home. But I still believe that the first pursuit they will make is Brad Stevens. I don't know at this point. I, I think that ship probably has sailed. But Brad's still pretty young, relatively speaking, in coaching standards. Um, you just started a Peaks message board topic. There's, Local radio says Brad Stevens will have interest in IU job after well, Woodson. That latter part is the question. Indiana would absolutely have interest in Brad Stevens. And Indiana, when Indiana hired Archie Miller, Archie Miller was essentially the only phone call they made aside from sending out all of the all of the dogs to find out exactly where Brad Stevens stood on it. And it was not until that that they pursued Archie Miller, but and that was the only person they went after. Um, yes, they will absolutely inquire about it. I just feel like if you're Brad Stevens at this point, would you go back to coaching college? I mean, you're the president of the most prestigious franchise in the NBA. You know, uh, but um, I think Dusty May and Michael Lewis would also offer some I, I, I realistic. Think, nature too I, I would agree that those two then probably are right there I, I think here's the thing I think Stevens is the only name that would be in the mix that would prohibit you from making any calls elsewhere Lewis and Dusty May would both be would they need very, to go somewhere else would they need to get above Ball State above Florida Atlantic that, that that's the one yeah I, I think that that's certainly worth exploring I to me Indiana's job, the Indiana job to me, Kevin, is interesting because when they first, when Indiana first had to, and I get it, I mean, immediately following Bob Knight would be almost impossible. And Mike Davis did a, took them to the final game, so you had to, you had to give Mike Davis that opportunity. I get it. But I thought they stayed with Davis probably a little too long, and I like him as a man, and I think Indiana University is forever indebted to what Mike Davis did for them in fulfilling that role. But I think they probably went a little too long with it. And then trying to find somebody, I think Indiana undersold themselves because everybody was so hell-bent on, like, it's got to be an Indiana guy, and is it going to be all for da-da-da? And they end up going with Kelvin Sampson, who was uh, the worst hire in the history of hires. And then they go back to square one again, and they go with Tom Crean, who I just felt like they they – I never understood why Indiana just didn't say, who is the best college basketball coach right now that we could get? John Calipari, who wants the job? Okay, let's go. Like Rick Pitino, who would have been Tom Izzo, who absolutely 1,000%, as sure as the day is long, I'm here to tell you, Tom Izzo had interest in the Indiana job. No phone call. Why? I've never understood that. And now... My fear is that Indiana has has Indiana has perception of itself that is now greater than it than it really is. I, you know, if if Indiana tomorrow and Mike Woodson has done a fine job, and, and but just because of his age, you know, we're looking at okay, when when is that job going to be available? 
if it's three years from now, two years from now, whatever it may be, if Indiana's in the same situation they are right now, you know, 22-10, and 10, a five or six seed, game or two in the NCAA tournament, that's it. Does Indiana still – do they now have the ability to put a full-page ad in Sporting News and say, inquire within and get calls from all over the country? I don't know the answer to that. Tucker Barnhart in five minutes. Uh, let's do a quick morning check down. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Six to go for the Indiana Pacers tonight. It looks like Giannis will take the floor inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. He is listed as probable. On the flip side of that, the Pacers continue to be uber cautious slash tanking slash load management. Tyrese Halliburton, he is out tonight. Miles Turner is questionable. The Bucks are favored by 11.5 on the road. Um, again, the Pacers' magic number to officially being eliminated from the playoffs is four. It's a combination of losses on their end and wins by the Bulls. The Bulls have seven to go. For those curious, the Pacers have a much more difficult schedule on paper than the Bulls the rest of the way. Uh, but right now, seventh in the tank standings for Indiana with six to go. No. Mark. Had it muted, I apologize. Did you mention the scores from last night, Kevin? I did not, no. Okay, thanks. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, Washington over the Celtics last night, 130 to 111. Um, It was Atlanta over Cleveland, Toronto, Memphis, Charlotte, and Golden State all got wins last night as well. Leading scorer last night in the NBA was? Was Jason Tatum. Mark? Jalen Brown. Donovan Mitchell with 44 for the Cavaliers. And a losing effort, by the way. Hawks won by two. I say we just hit the break. Tucker is, Barnhart. Is the swoosh button stuck? <laughs> no, it's Tucker not. Barnhart will save us. Coming up next. Halfway through the 9 o'clock hour, Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. Our next guest who joins us on the Payless Liggers Hotline is set to begin, I believe, his 10th season in Major League Baseball. It will be his first with the organization that we just heard, the Chicago Cubs, as he continues his tour of Midwest franchises. Starting with the Reds, of course, then the Detroit Tigers, and now with the Cubs, Tucker Barnhart joins us, who I would assume has been spending the vast majority of his morning figuring out how to transport his car from Arizona to Chicago. Um, Tucker, I asked this question earlier, so I want total transparency here. Thanks for joining us. Would you say that more guys right now are like super eager and ready to go after the offseason or is there a kind of a feeling of like the first day of school of like oh man this is a long haul in front of us yeah well thanks for having me guys i appreciate it as always but uh the i would say the first day of school feeling is more the first day of spring training everybody's super excited now for opening day um and eager to get going versus when spring training starts, you know not necessarily that the season's long, which obviously it is, but spring training is extremely long and begins feeling like Groundhog Day, I would say, about halfway through. So uh, getting, getting through spring training is one of the harder points of the year. Uh, but once the season get re- gets ready to go, everybody's eager and ready to get rolling. All right, Tucker, you just went through a full spring training. The rule changes obviously dominated so many of the storylines, pitch count, shifting, this and that. What do you like? What do you not like from what you just experienced? I'll be honest, man. I like all of them. I, I'm shocked to say that I like the pitch clock, but we played a we, we played a um, an exhibition game right before the WBC against Team Canada without a pitch 
and we played what felt like a marathon game, and it was only three hours long. So we're, we were averaging like 220 uh, game times in spring training, and uh, it was awesome. The game flows really fast. Um, it's, it's a little bit of an adjustment, and if you talk to me here in about a week and a half or so, I might uh, change my mind because these games obviously – mean a lot more than spring training games starting on Thursday. So I could change my tune. Um, however, I think as long as the umpires continue to have a good amount of feel um, in terms of if a guy fouls a ball off his foot and needs an extra second, they, they don't start the clock on you right away. As long as things like that kind of keep going like they did it in spring training, I think there'll be no issues. Uh, the shift I'm a big fan of, being able to roll over a ground ball through the right side in between the second baseman and the first baseman again for a hit is uh, – is huge, so uh, I'm I'm super excited about him. Spoken like a true lefty there. Okay, when you say <laughs> adjustment, I was curious. This, I mean, it's quicker in between pitches. Isn't that going to be more taxing on you in terms of you know how often and how quickly you're back into that crouch? Yeah, it it, it was a little bit there early on. I, I joked with uh, our strength and conditioning guys that I didn't know I needed to run a, more basketball suicides. Uh, during during the off season to get ready to play, I thought I needed to be in baseball shape, not basketball shape. But uh, you know, I think we all got used to it. We all got used to to how how long how to pace or what our tempo kind of is, no matter what position you're playing, whether you're hitting, whether you're on defense. And what we found was that a lot of guys were just going too fast. We had a lot of a lot of moments where there was still a considerable amount of time left on the clock. Um, whether it be a pitcher thrown to me or, or whether it be me in the, in the batter's box. So it, it, it's I, I would rather feel sped up in spring training and be able to kind of slow myself down versus get to opening day and have to speed myself up because that's a, that's a slippery slope if you're having to do that. Where exactly is the, the clock itself? So the pitcher is looking at it. Are there, is there more than one? Yeah, there's, there, I believe there's either one or two behind me so behind home plate, but is there um, one then, within your vision? Correct. There's one. I think there's and there's two. Um, I think like in left center and right gotcha. center. So um, that I can see. Does that add then uh, the catcher to me? Tucker Barnhart's our guest. The catching position, as we've talked about with you before, Tucker, to me is a fascinating one because you're kind of like the center on an NFL team. You have, I think, more responsibilities than people realize. Is this a new responsibility for you as a catcher? In other words, is the primary responsibility of knowing the clock the catchers, the pitchers, or is it 50-50? Um, I think it's I, – I would say that it's probably 50-50. Um, I, maybe I would lean a little bit more toward the pitcher um, than, than the catcher, but it's, it's pretty much split down the middle. I, I think there are some certain – there's certain nuances to it that, that – um, to kind of make it more than just a pitch clock. For example, if in in the past, if if we couldn't get on the same page in terms of which pitch I wanted to or we wanted to throw, I could just call time and the guy would step off the mound and we would get back on there and figure out what we wanted to throw and go. Um, now, if there's no one on base, I won't be awarded time in a situation like that. So if the clock is running close to close to the end and I try to call time the umpire won't give me time it'll be considered a ball once the clock runs out 
So with, with with a guy on base, with a guy on base, the guy can step off and reset the clock. So there's a lot, there's some nuance there that hmm. that we have to know that uh, the pitcher and the catcher both have to know. So being on the same page is imperative. Will you have a a signal essentially? If you realize, oh gosh, he, he doesn't realize the clock's about to run down here and we're in trouble. Will you have a signal to him like we got to go here, you throw? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We've talked about a couple different ways to approach it. Um, whether it's a each guy has like a, a, a default pitch in a way that they throw for that for that hitter or for that series or that season, I guess. Um, that if the clock ends up coming down to the end and it's three two on the hitter and the next ball is ball four, obviously, that, that we're throwing a certain pitch. So we've talked about that. Um, the, the one layer is that I can make a mound visit. So if I call time and run out to the mound real quick, that's not considered a ball. So we could do that. Um, but obviously those trips to the mound are, uh, there's only a certain number that I can, that I can make. So it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be important that we're on the same page, um, more, more times than not. And, uh, and, and go from there. It's interesting. Tucker Barnhart, year 10 on the horizon. The Brownsburg native is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. The Cubs will get underway tomorrow for opening day. Um, obviously, along with the rule changes, Tucker, you know, the World Baseball Classic, I think, dominated a lot of conversation outside of the NCAA tournament here over the past few weeks. And I thought it was great, you know, from a just a headline standpoint. Um, what did you make of the tournament? Do you like the fact that it is played during the time year that it is played? And I guess how much interest did you guys have in in, in watching it? Yeah, I mean, I, I first first and foremost, I, I love I loved it. I think I think it's great. I think it adds a, a, a level of kind of like the Olympics, obviously. And but but in right in the beginning of baseball season, and it adds kind of. Uh, an excitement or to, the, to to our season kind of starting up and getting going. Um, I, I I'm I'm kind of up in the air on when it's played. Um, I think there there are more guys maybe that would play if it ended up being like like the way they run the Pro Bowl in football where where they play it right before right before the World Series. Um, but I don't I just don't know or right after the World Series. I just don't know how um, that would work in terms of a, of a timeline. But I, I thought it was great. I, I, there's a lot out there about injuries and all of that stuff. And, and I've seen guys get hurt for years in spring training, and we're talking about games that don't matter. So I think that the injury narrative is kind of a, a little bogus. Um, but I, I, think, I think the tournament overall is great. Um, I think it adds an excitement uh, to our game and just kind of kicks, kicks everything off um, heading into opening day um, with some excitement. You know, Everybody's excited right now, right? I mean, it, it is great. It, it's the sign that summer's around the corner. Oh, the Reds think there's they can nothing, win 50 games. <laughs> there's, there's nothing like uh, – I'm telling you, Kevin, 75. There's nothing like the summertime of Major League Baseball. But at the same time, it's a long year, Tucker. That's the reality. What's the most mentally trying aspect of being a big league ball player? Um, I, I would have to say that the – the years where you're on teams that that aren't gonna win, uh, I really and and you know that going in, and that's that's it's every it's it, I would be naive to say or guys would be naive to say that that if you're in a certain club certain clubhouses or in certain organizations at certain points of your career that 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 the, the winning isn't necessarily the the biggest key. It's more about development and it's more about um, figuring out who are who are big leaguers and who aren't big leaguers, 
Um, and so if you're, if you're in a position where you've been around for a little while or you're a veteran in a clubhouse and going into spring training, you know that we're just here to play the year out and uh, hopefully we can get better and eyes on the next year and then the year after that. And so, so going, into, going into a year where the, the expectations aren't that of trying to make the playoffs and then getting into the middle of the year, getting into August and, or July sometimes. I've been on teams where we've been out of it in June, you know, and, and, and when you know that, that there's only the only way, the only reason you're playing is one, because you have a contract and you have a job, which is phenomenal, but also it's, it's for selfish reasons. And those, those years aren't fun uh, just because it's, it's, it seems very selfish and, and not the most fun, fun to be around. I've always wondered this, and I don't think I've ever asked you this before, Tucker, but like when Kevin and I were just talking about the fact, you know, the Indianapolis Indians games are super fun, right? I mean, people love to go and, and watch them. Of course, that's the, the top farm club for the Pittsburgh Pirates. When you go to an Indians game at the AAA level, are you watching guys that are closer in margin to being big league players or being double-A players? Oh, man, that's a, that's a really good question. I I would say that it's I would say that it's more of the former than the latter. Um, I think that the way that organizations view younger players now is that they push them through faster and faster. Uh, I think the game is continuously getting younger, um, and I think that is w- when you go and you do see see a guy at AAA. Th- I would be more willing to I'd be willing to bet more times than not that he's on the cusp of the big big leagues versus. Uh, being sent down to Double A, I think that they keep guys. They keep guys in certain spots um, to just to just to keep spots open uh, in the event that they need to send a guy down from the big league level to Triple A to get at bats um, or a prospect or what uh, or whatnot uh, to be at the Triple A level and be be. I mean, most of the time, logistically, that 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 level is is the close to the big league cities that you're going to get, and so for a guy to be able to get to that get to the big league city quick. So I would say that it's more it's more big league players that are in AAA versus AA players for sure. Tucker, I'm not sure if you were listening earlier, but I mentioned that you know a week from tomorrow is the start of the Masters, and if Tiger Woods is able to don the green jacket, I will wear a Tiger Speedo um, <laughs> on the show here coming up a week from Monday. Mark Dykton very accurately pointed out that's more of a waste management attire than maybe something post-Masters. If I'm not mistaken, last time we chatted, you were about to head to the waste management open did you get a chance to get out there and if so how was that experience yeah man i went out to uh so i went out to super bowl sunday so the sunday of the waste management uh, went out there with a couple buddies um and enjoyed our time out there we, we hadn't really started games yet so uh it was a laid-back day on monday so we enjoyed ourselves <laughs> a little bit um on 16 um spent probably too many calories with some Coors Light. Sure. Um, there. Did and you then, throw uh, any uh, out on the green? No, I didn't. Okay. I, didn't. I, I respected the game. Yeah, I didn't want to test your game. arm too much? Okay. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't, wasn't built up yet. It wasn't, wasn't close to the season yet. Let me tell you, Kevin, you took your shirt off, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. For a show not too long ago. And then I'm thinking about you in a Speedo, and I can just tell you that uh, waste management has not necessarily been a strong suit of yours over the last <laughs> Year or two. I differ if we could, you know, if we want to go into bowel movements, we could get a little deeper into okay. maybe this okay. topic. Uh, we go. Tucker, okay. before we let you go, obviously opening day, I'm sure top of mind. Uh, is Lamar Jackson on your favorite football team? 
top of mind at all for you? <laughs> oh man, I, w- I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it. Um, I, um, I I want him to go one or two ways. I, I, I personally, I'm an Anthony Richardson guy. I think you shoot for the moon um, potentially there, or you go after Lamar Jackson. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I um, I hope where there's smoke, there's fire with that one. Personally, I'm a fan of his, and I, I enjoy watching him play. So I, w- I would not uh, hate to see him wearing number eight for the Colts. What is the one aspect of Tucker Barnhart's game as a baseball player that heading into year 10 has been most elusive for you to corral and that you most want to find consistency in as a Cub? You know, for me personally um, – I have always been a guy that when things start to go a little south uh, at, at the plate, um, that I, I run to change. I run to change something. I run to change my stance. I run to change my where my hands are. I, want, uh, I run to change what pitches I'm looking for. Um, and therefore, I think it, it takes a little bit of consistency away from me as a player. Um, and, and what this staff in Chicago has done, such a good job of is creating an environment to to get the best versions of us and I think and and I've had this conversation with a couple of our coaches how it's really cool I played on a lot of I, I haven't played on, on a lot of teams but I've played for a lot of different coaches and there, there are few and far between in terms of staffs that I've been around that that are really focused it seems on every single one of them they're trying to get the best out of you and I think what I mean by that is I want, I know that I, that I'm a, I'm a good player and I know that I've had success at the big league level. And I just want to tap into that and keep getting better in the confines of who I am as a player. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that here in Chicago because like I said, the environment is really conducive uh, for me to be able to do that. What percent of great hitters Tucker in major league baseball are great hitters because they can view and see the seam of the ball and know the pitch that's coming versus they simply have the ability to predict on law of averages and situation what pitch is coming? I would say that that the the God-given ability of the majority of guys is what kind of carries them more than other things. Um, I think that that you can get to a place where you can predict certain pitches and when they're coming. Um, however, I think the way that baseball has trended and for the last few years, up to five, ten years, is pitchers are throwing their best pitches. It's going to sound really stupid, but pitchers are throwing their best pitches as much as they possibly can. Right. And in the past, guys would throw certain pitches to kind of set other pitches up and, and, and maybe – try to to mix in more fastballs just because they haven't thrown more fastballs for example but now guys with the with the overall velocity that that is there now in the game as well as pitchers adopting that I'm going to throw my best pitch as much as I can because I don't think they can hit it philosophy has made it a lot harder to kind of predict what's coming so I think the 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 overall god-given ability that the majority of guys have uh, I would say carries for sure Tucker, we'll end with this, and I appreciate the time uh, ahead of opening day. Again, Tucker Barnhart, year 10, the Brownsburg native with us. Um, I don't know if you're numb to it at this point. I don't know. You, you seem like just you have so much joy in, in, in playing the game of baseball. I don't think so, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Like, what will your emotions be? Will you be emotional tomorrow at 220? Like, I mean, it is, it's Wrigley. It's it, it's opening day. It's a, it's a Cubs uniform. Like, will you be emotional, you think? 
I, it's funny, man. Like I hadn't, I don't, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, but I got goosebumps when you're talking about it, which is really kind of cool. Um, for me, man, like I, I never take an opening day for granted. Um, when, when I was coming up, you weren't considered a, you were still considered a rookie no matter how much time you had, unless you went, they called it gate to gate, unless you went opening day to the end of the year. And for me, every opening day kind of, it's the start of something new. It's the start of something really special. I'm super proud of it. Um, and I, I think playing in Chicago for me is kind of like a, being fortunate enough to play in the big leagues. Like it's kind of like a bucket list thing for me, like growing up so close to here, a lot like Cincinnati, like playing in Cincinnati for me was, was a dream come true. I get to play in my backyard and the same thing kind of stands true here in Chicago playing at Wrigley, hearing Go Cubs go and actually liking it, um, <laughs> is, is, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, we have, there's such a great group of guys, uh, young and, and veterans. Um, it's, it's a joy to be, be around um, the clubhouse every day. I'm um, getting ready to head over there here in about 10 minutes uh, to, to, for our workout today. Um, so to answer your question, in some level, I'll definitely be emotional just because yeah, it's a it's a kind of it's somewhat of an over, overwhelming experience in opening day, especially being on the field for the flyover and all of that stuff. Um, but it's it, there's nothing like it. No matter where you're at, Cincinnati, Detroit, Chicago, I haven't experienced it yet here, but I, I can imagine um, that it, that it's going to rival some of the best that I've ever been around. So I'll definitely be emotional at some level. Um, like I said, I got goosebumps when you're talking about it. So uh, it's still it's super special to me, and 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 I feel like. It always it will be, um, and when it's not, it'll probably be time to uh, go do something else. It's been a hell of a run, uh, ten years now, coming up in Major League Baseball for Tucker Barnhart. Uh, soak it up tomorrow, stay healthy, and uh, hopefully we can catch up here in a couple months, man. Sounds good, guys. I appreciate you guys always. Thank you. That's a great Tucker Barnhart, Brownsburg native, Payless Liquors Hotline. We'll close it out one final time with a new player for the Indiana University men's basketball program just committing. Jake, uh, Indiana has dipped pretty close to home into the transfer portal for their first incoming player for this fall. That would be Peyton Sparks from Ball State. Um, Sparks is a Winchester, Indiana native, average 13-8, and eight, been a pretty consistent score and rebounder for Ball State each of the last two years. Not going to shoot threes, not a great foul shooter, but you would think he's going to eat up some of those minutes that obviously you're losing a whole lot of front court minutes in Trace Jackson Davis and Ray Thompson and a whole lot of production. Yeah, and then the other kid, you know, I, I told you like Ike Graham out of Wyoming, who's a similar type player, was apparently on Indiana's radar and vice versa as well. I'm not sure if he's still in the running. This this might take care of that. I would but, think so. Um, you know, that's not a position you need to load up on, but good to have. To your point, good to get some insurance there for sure. And, of course, the question is, all right, how does he handle stepping up from Ball State to the Big Ten? Uh, what will the role be for Malik Renew? You think he's kind of the lead big guy. We'll see about Jordan Geronimo. We'll see about Caleb Banks. Um, still some minutes to divide up in the front court. Thank you to Tucker Barnhart. That'll be up on the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, enjoy this Wednesday.